0: Allow me first to apologize for the emergency challenge. I do like many of you, appreciate the comforts of the everyday routine, the security of the familiar, the tranquillity and repetition I enjoy them as much as any bloke. But in the spirit of commemoration Who's that, Lord? whereby those important events of the past, usually associated with someone's death or the end of some awful bloody struggle, are celebrated with a nice holiday. I thought we could mark this November the fifth. A day that is sadly no longer remembered. By taking some time out of our daily lives to sit down and have a little chat. Because while the truncheon may be used in lieu of conversation, words will always retain their power. Words are for the means to meaning and for those who will listen, the enunciation of truth. And the truth is, there is something terribly wrong this country, isn't that? More than 400 years ago, a great citizen wished to embed the 5th of November forever in our memory. His hope was to remind the world that fairness, justice, and freedom are more than words. They are perspectives. So if you've seen nothing, if the crimes of this government remain unknown to you, then I would suggest that you allow the 5th of November to pass unmarked. But if you see what I see, if you feel as I feel, and if you would seek as I seek, then I ask you to stand beside me, one year from tonight, outside the gates of Parliament, and together we shall give them a fifth of November that shall never, ever be forgotten.
1: It is 6 minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11, and it's the month of September in the year of our Lord 2008. Thank you for coming along and making it uh, part of your listening day. There you go, Mr. LaFontaine and Weaving, beginning our program as only they can, my friends. Live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, the talker of this, my friends, my chums, my amigos, my companions, my fellow travelers. This is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy. It's uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Ladies, gents, friends, Romans, countrymen, germs, ladies, uh, girls, boys of all ages. It's 503-733-2970. Want to be a uh, part of the program today? You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at dot 970.am. Uh, Richie is standing by. Ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, the absurd, the ridiculous, the pedantic, the willfully obtuse. Uh, Whatever it is you have today, 503... 733-2970 Seven three three two nine seventy. 2970 Lots to get to here in a few minutes We're going to talk to our good friend Dennis Miller He's going to be performing this Friday and Saturday At Spirit Mountain Casino Of course his uh, program airs mornings until 10 Right here on this very fine radio station We'll talk to Dennis Miller in a few minutes Coming up later on Seeing a radio correspondent Lisa Deja Dan uh, Will be joining us senior uh, radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum will be joining us as well uh, We'll talk to Oregonian TV critic And all around lovable curmudgeon Peter Cardlin later on I think we're trying to rustle up Dorothy Carceseri for the National Enquirer Because I think the thing is we talked to Sorry to keep everything straight I think the deal is we talk to Nina Parker every week Dorothy Carcasseri every two weeks But that didn't really work out Because every week there's just been some huge ruckus So uh, And the ruckus continues unabated I heard a ruckus I got the ruckus right here in my hand, by the way. The ruckus is being held right here between my never nicotine-stained fingers. Uh, in any event, so were you? Uh, is that the, okay? Is that is that the case? All right, so I guess we talk to Nina every two weeks. I can't keep stri- like anything straight in my head. I can't keep anything organized in my brain. About really, without Richie, this entire place just falls apart. I just don't know when anything happens. You know, I just show up. it's like somebody said, I won't say who. Uh, But there was, uh, I went to a show one time, there was a uh, rock and roll performer, and he got on stage and was so unbelievably just blitzed out of his mind. I mean, he was just drunk beyond all rational comprehension. And I was there with a friend of mine, and the guy was making the observation about the rock star. He said, you know, somebody puts him on a plane, somebody gets him off a plane, somebody puts him on the stage, somebody puts him in bed at night, and he doesn't know anything else. And that's really me. All I do is I show up and I just bump my gums for a few hours. Richie really does all the work here. So, uh, in any event, uh, we're going to talk to Dorothy though later on today. Uh, What else? We played uh, It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard, uh, installment one, the other day with Jesus is My Friend by Sunseed. Uh, Today we'll try to get to It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard, uh, installment two. Let's see what else. It is High Concept Thursday. We'll get to that. I have a piece of fantastic political advice for Lisa Desjardins. And again, did I mention that I'm holding a ruckus in my hands right here? It's all very exciting. Uh, we'll get to that, uh, plus a uh, Geek Watch coming up, uh, Bush Watch coming up, all of that. Uh, Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification on this uh, Thursday.
2: Carelessly discarded ashes following a company barbecue cause at Eastside Warehouse Fire. That destroyed the business. Politicians will make fools of themselves today, make those 911 11 speeches, we'll try to avoid those. Senator Gordon Smith is accused of hiring illegal aliens. Train horns may be prohibited in the Pearl District. Train whores? Horns. Oh. No. Those are not being prohibited. As long as whores are still available, Tim, I don't care. Especially if you work for one of these oil companies, everybody's getting them. Man, I, I'm going
1: to make that next time we have any sort of like a contract negotiation, I'm going to demand whores. You know what I mean? Whores and graft? And also the ability to punch one person a week without any sort of uh, reprimand
2: or repercussion. Roaming pitfalls force a lockdown in Milwaukee schools. A fire shuts down the channel. That's a tunnel running under the uh, English Channel. That's spooky. The shuttle's been scuttled. Yes. <laughs> uh, Joe Biden admits Hillary Clinton would have been a better choice for vice president. Nope. <laughs> we'll hear that too. And uh, Keith Ober did a masterful commentary. We'll have bits and pieces of that also. Uh, California meatpacking company fires 100 Muslims in a dispute over religion. All right then good day uh, good uh, it's a good day to be a news for oh and Donald Rumsfeld speaks publicly
1: you know I forgot Donald Rumsfeld even existed
2: nobody really wants to hear from him but he spoke anyway
1: You know, hear the weirdest thing about Donald well there's many weird things about Donald Rumsfeld. first of all is I can picture Donald Rumsfeld being a crossdresser with n- r- really limited effort maybe but, Richie knows it you know, But doesn't Donald, doesn't Donald Rumsfeld kind of seem like his own sort of crotchety grandmother
3: mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen him crossdress.
1: see that's what I'm saying he he almost seems like one of those like a sort of mother Bates type or maybe one one of the Monty Python pepper pots, is my observation. Also, I'm reading two books right now. I'm reading books in tandem. I'm reading uh, The Way to Win by uh, Mike Halperin from ABC News. Does,
2: that, does it work?
1: Uh, you know, it's fantastic. I have to tell, I'm not going to go on and on and on about it because we've got the other fish to fry here. How to win what? It's a, it's a, it's a thing about the, how to win in presidential politics oh. and how the uh, the game of presidential politics has changed over the last decade with the emergence of the Internet and the, the ascendance of right-wing talk radio and so forth. It's, it's an exceptional book. And I actually, because I'm a nerd, I was sending Lisa Desjardins an email about it last night. And I was telling her that it's got an unfortunate title. It's called The Way to Win. Capturing the White House in 2008, which is unfortunate because it's going to be instantly dead. Like in 60 days, is you know, is not going to be relevant anymore. So I already am suspecting that they'll just reissue it with a different title. Uh, it's that good. So uh, I'm just saying, maybe if you're at Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing or you know wherever, uh, pick up The Way to Win by Mike Halperin. This is really one of the best books about American politics that I've read in some time. But I am simultaneously or concurrently reading this book called uh, 31 Days, which is about the first month in office of Gerald Ford after he took over for Richard Nixon, who was sort of burned out of American office like a tick from the skin. And they were talking about Donald Rumsfeld and how Rumsfeld was sort of on the periphery at that point. But that I guess he was much more he didn't seem quite as overtly crazy and brutal as he does today. You know, where he's always threatening to beat people with shovels and whatnot. Anyway, so, uh, all right, we'll talk about that later on. Uh, Sarah Dillon joining us today, as always. Hello, how are you?
3: Hi, I'm doing well. I had a long day yesterday, but I'm doing well today. All right. I got licensed to, um, I got my service permit, my OLCC license yesterday. Can I just
1: say for just a moment there, it sounded like you were going to say I got lice.
3: Oh, no. <laughs>
1: That's uh,
2: what I thought. So you no, could, I had long day, I got lice since <laughs>
3: No, because, you know, the the glamour of radio doesn't, you know, quite support, you know, wages to be able to live on. The glamour
1: of alcohol, (laughs) well.
3: So I am going to be a bar back at one of my uh, favorite bars. What is a bar back?
2: You help the bartender. Yeah, help the bartender. Wait, why do you know that? I've been a bar back.
1: Uh, This is a whole slice of life I don't know anything about. Let's take one thing at a time. First of all, so you pass, well, you have to get a license to do
0: what?
3: You have to get it. Um, the OLCC requires you to have a service um, a service license, like you, so you are licensed to serve um, right. liquor and like handle the work in the establishment. Bowl. Right. So I did that yesterday. So now I am free to clean ashtrays and bathrooms and.
1: Good
3: all for you, Sarah. Sarah. I'm I'm really excited. I've never worked in a bar before, so you should
1: I'm, let WSU know about that. I'm sure they'll be
2: really <laughs> proud of you.
3: Hey, I've always I, it's always kind of been a curiosity of mine, so I'm really excited. It's one of the
2: rites of passage of the radio business.
3: Exactly. Right? So Tim and I and Tim and I'll be able to swap stories, and Rick, you'll be
1: left in the cold. What is the difference out on the periphery, as I always am? What is the difference between being a bartender and being a bar back?
3: A bartender it's, is the one who's serving. A bar back is like the one who keeps everything you, stocked and you drag
2: room. all the beer out and make sure everything is full. Because if you run out of alcohol, oh. doesn't
1: Barback sounds uncomfortably close to some sort of crude sexual description. I
2: know, but it's not the same thing.
3: It's like the right-hand man to the bartender, like making sure that they have everything that they need in order to keep it. Because plus this place I'm working at only has, it gets pretty busy and they only have one bartender on staff, which means I'm going to be running like a crazy
1: person. By the way, we're going to speak to Dennis Miller in like uh, a second and a half, but let me just say so far, in today's program, kids, the headline is Sarah Dillon goes barback. Right there. There you go. It's, uh, it's good that
3: you respect me so much. It's what I
1: do. It's you can't knock
2: your girl if we're trying to make a living. No, no,
1: no, not at all, <laughs> Tim. Baby got to do what baby got to do. Uh, it's 503 This Sarah, I got to eat. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. All right, coming up Friday night, Saturday night, Spirit Mountain Casino, Dennis Miller uh, performing live. Tickets on sale right now. StarTicketsPlus.com or call StarTicketsPlus at one 800 585 3-7. Let's now welcome to the Rick Emerson radio program, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Dennis Miller. Hello, sir.
4: What's up, teenagers? Joe Biden is a VP back. He actually just sets it up for Hillary. And uh...
1: how, is, how is your life going, my friend? How are things? How is the existence of Dennis Miller going in every conceivable way?
4: Yeah, just a young kid with a dream. 54. I have a gig, and yet uh, I'm not exactly... Uh... You know, it's not like I'm at the beginning of my career where I'm all freaked out if I'll make it okay. I did okay. So I feel pretty relaxed with a nice new job at age 54.
1: I have to, uh, and we'll talk about your upcoming performance at Spirit Mountain Casino uh Friday and Saturday here in just a moment. Two things. One, so I'm presuming you saw the, the quote that Joe Biden said. Presumably, I don't know if they think no one's listening or if they think the mic isn't on or the tape isn't rolling or something, where Biden said that Hillary might have been the better VP choice.
4: Well, that's what I was referring to when I came on, and I probably oh, okay. didn't no. deliver it well. But he is a VP back, as opposed it. to a bar back, and it, uh, he's just setting, getting the get it, getting the uh, the liqueurs ready for Hillary to come in. Uh, so,
1: just a couple of things as we sort of sort of plunge on ahead into this discussion. One is you're talking about how you obviously have achieved a great deal of success, and I always am curious about this when I talk to people who have really gone out there and and really gone to the gone to the top of the mountain. Do you look back and sort of retrospectively have some kind of terror or fear wash over you when you realize that you chose a profession that could have, in some parallel universe, have gone terribly, terribly wrong?
4: No, nah, because I've never really planted the flag on the summit. I mean, I, uh, when I was at SNL, Dana was in the office next to me, and he had church as the biggest thing on the planet Earth. I've been whacked for Monday Night Football in front of America. I got whacked from CNBC. I had a nice run on HBO. I've had some ups and downs, so I've never really planted the summit. I've always been happy to get up to fifth base camp, sit in the pub tent with the Sherpas and boil water for the other guys to get frostbitten.
1: Fair enough. It's sort of a Rush Limbaugh said this thing one time. He said that, and this is after he'd already achieved just a great deal of fame and success, and somebody was talking to him about how does it feel to have, to have reached the touchdown or the end zone, and he said that there really is no there is no end zone because when you get to what you think the end zone is, you realize that the field is in fact four hundred thousand yards long, and it's just it's a series of first downs forever.
4: well, I never had those aspirations I'll be honest with you I'm from Pittsburgh. Smart of a a union town mentality. I was always just glad to have a job. I never see the far shore. That sounds like Limbaugh saying that there is a far shore. I just see the lily pond in front of me and I'm, you know, I'm trying to stay on the next pad so I don't get wet. I have a really closed in nature about show business. I don't trust it as far as I can throw it and I can't throw it because it's ethereal. So I just try to stay employed. I I don't, you know, I can't get hurt by show business that much because I don't take it all that seriously. I mean, it is what it is, but the top level of showbiz pain doesn't come up to the bottom level of real-life pain. So I mean, really getting whacked from things over my career has never mattered a twit to me.
1: But for you, when you, Looking back on, on SNL, you hear so much. People talk about how it's... Uh... It's just sort of this nest of vipers in terms of the hyper competitive nature of it and uh, the, you know, the interactions between writers and actors, actors with each other, actors with the producers is that was that your experience that it was really it was just very an atavistic environment that way
4: atavistic look at you all growing up and using those words uh i I find it to be uh i, I love many of the people there, but it is gladiator camp and you know, if you're coming in with weak cheese, you're going to get whacked. <laughs> it's like Seinfeld told me, it's like the Serengeti plane when he hosts these. You don't want to exhibit a limp or they'll all feed on you. I love all, you know, my best friends are from there. But, yeah, the simple fact is, if you didn't produce for around three weeks, <laughs> you were in trouble. So, you know, I understood that, and it put me in good stead for the rest of The
1: so SNL was sort of a comedic, uh, it was sort of a third prize is your fired kind of environment.
4: Uh, You know, you would just notice you weren't on as much, you know. And if I had been a weekend update and I wasn't stroking the ball, I'd notice that there was more guests on on any particular week, you know, where you'd have somebody de- doing, uh, Dana doing Grumpy Old Man, Sandler doing Opera Man. you know, is that sort of thing. It, it, it's not, Lauren doesn't like confrontations, it's not like you're summoned in and dispatched, but you'll notice that your time starts to have a little and that'll get you motivated.
1: In terms of the, we're talking to Dennis Miller, he's going to be at Spirit Mountain Casino uh, Friday night, Saturday night. In terms of the, the confluence of your comedy and your uh, political views, do you think do you think it is accurately represented your your change your evolution your growth in terms of how you view things politically or do you feel like you're fundamentally the same and it is the culture that's changed around you?
4: Um I think I've changed a little after 9/11 I want to preemptively kill the bad guys or I want our guys to do it. And I, that, that, that seems common sense to I me. Mean, I, you know, I'll be honest, I'm surprised the whole country isn't on that side of it. I look at radical Islamic fundamentalism, strapping bombs on their kids. They look like the maddest of hatters to me. And the fact that seven years down the road from 9-11, we still have a guy running for the presidency who feels he can go in and talk to a guy like Aqua Demogen and somehow convince him... In a in a mere one or two hour meeting, that his goal in life should not be to usher in a new caliphate and destroy the nation of Israel. I don't know. The guy's evidently a little fool of himself if he feels he can take that meeting and convince this guy to change his entire way of life. To me, if Barack Obama takes a meeting with Ahmadinejad, I want him to go into the bathroom like Michael Corleone, bring the gun back out, and plug him in Sterling Hayden in the head.
1: See you know, and let me just say that you know, uh, just in your bones. I can tell you know that the, the the way to the heart of any American male is to tie it all up with the Godfather reference. So I have to so well done on that. Well, Thank you, my friend. From a from a comedic point of view. Let
4: everybody see the cake before you slice it.
1: <laughs> Which uh, from a from the point of view of a guy who makes his living as uh, a wordsmith and comedian, who offers the most comedic potential for you, uh, this general election, the democratic side or the republican side?
4: Well, I would have to say Barack Obama's turning into an interesting quandary, isn't he? I thought everybody thought he was locked on and Very uh, smooth, but he's starting to gack it a little on a regular basis. Uh, The only reason I don't believe he intended the comment about Sarah Palin, the pig in the lipstick, is because I know I saw him over the weekend on Stephanopoulos, and he said he's Muslim, and he wouldn't make jokes about pigs like that. So that's two – obviously I kid, but that is two big gacks in the space of a week, and I'm telling you – if anybody any, anybody is kidding themselves, if they don't think if McCain did that, they would be all over him with Alzheimer's stuff. I mean, they just would. They'd talk about dementia, early onslaught. In the space of a week, <laughs> to say, my Muslim faith, and have George Stephanopoulos have to say, you mean your Christian faith, and then... Ten days after a woman co-opts a phrase for better or for worse, lipstick uh, to 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 let that come out in public. Do I think he thinks she's a pig? No, but do I think she's deep inside his melon? Yeah, I do. I would
1: say that. now that's. Uh, I would say that she's uh, that she's played the mental game uh, pretty well thus far. Uh, Dennis Miller going to be Friday night, Saturday night, Spirit Mountain Casino. As we wrap this up, I have uh, two small queries for you. One is, and uh, and if this is true, I'm so deeply and completely jealous. Is it true that you in fact are? able to do your radio program uh, from your kitchen and occasionally in your bathrobe?
4: Uh, I do it every morning in my... my boxer shorts oh. with a t-shirt, a bathrobe, yes, in my house.
1: Dude, that's the best thing I've ever heard in my life.
4: Yeah, it's very, uh, that's what I love about the job, my friend. Hey,
1: you know, some guys want to grow up, see their face on a stamp or something. I want to grow up, be able to do uh, my job, and uh, the white no, beater no, and bunny no, slippers. It's a
4: social network for the agoraphobic. I'm actually able to stay in and talk to people. I'm
1: going to steal that phrase from you just so you know. And finally, uh, you're going to be at Spirit Mountain Casino Friday night, Saturday night. Uh, do you gamble? Do you game? And if so, uh what is your uh, what is your gambling
5: game of choice, sir?
4: No, I used to I remember I used to work with a guy who's well known, I won't use his name, but I remember watching him drop 10, ten hands, five K a piece. He won like two, but ten out of twelve hands we, when we were starting out, we had made a pretty good sum of money, and he had fifty thousand dollars in his pocket. And I, I watched him drop it before we got to the front door, and it was the best thing that could have happened because I thought, man, I, I, I have won by working here. I'm not going to leave my paycheck <laughs> in the place.
5: Exit
1: Dennis Miller. here's mornings on this very fine radio station till 10 a.m. Uh, any uh, tickets are on sale now. StarTicketsPlus.com or call StarTicketsPlus 1-800-585 three seven uh, three seven So best of continued success in uh, life in radio, in comedy, and all that, and props for using the phrase Barack Obama has man boobs yesterday.
4: <laughs> Thank you for using adipists. Good for you, my friend. What Have I a do. pleasant day.
1: Thank you, Dennis.
4: All right, there you go, uh
1: Dennis Miller, ladies and gentlemen. Richie, can you uh double check and make sure that is uh, taken care of and handled and the uh, all of that and the whatnot? All right, thanks so much.
2: He treated he treated you like an equal. Yeah. He did. A little thing I called,
3: might not always agree with him, but I like listening to him. He's a people. funny
2: guy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm really envious is. that he can do a show in his slippers and not leave us house. Okay, but can I tell you that
1: phrase he just used? Social network for the agoraphobic? Mm-hmm. That's the best thing I've ever heard mm-hmm. in my life. And it's, at, I've never heard it described so perfectly and succinctly. Because mm-hmm. that's what it is. Because, I mean, we're... Yeah, because we've talked about this a lot, that I'm either an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert, one of the two, which I think goes for a lot of us here. Yes. Him
2: especially.
0: Oh, i must. You
1: know Don Geronimo used to talk about that all the time, about how you know you turn the mic off and he just sort of he becomes that W B frog where he just you know, and then the mic goes back on and he la 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 la. la.
3: That's what my friends that don't understand about you. They're like, why doesn't Rick want to come out and have a drink of us? and like, you don't Rick hates understand. people
1: and gatherings and things and the public. Uh, a social network for agoraphobics. I mean, that's right there. I mean, that's really... That's why he does what he does. It's the gold is what that is. All right. Um, Jesus. All right. So we probably don't... Let me just... uh, Well, speaking of social network and agoraphobics and mental breakdowns, so I would... I would talk about my shrink appointment last night, but there wouldn't really be anything interesting. Except that I got there. Mm-hmm. So I go on, you know, and of course the whole thing with the shrink is you want to be honest, while well, at the same time not looking quite as crazy as you are. Like you want to let the shrink see about 75% of your crazy at any given time. Uh, it, it, and that's because, it, because otherwise, they, you know, they get the guy with the net or whatever. Uh-huh. And you're always, you know, it's like the priest. It's sort of the opposite of the priest. When you go to confess to the priest, you would, you'd, you'd cop to like 25% of what you did. And then you would hide all the really bad stuff. You just go, I was disrespectful to my mother. And with the shrink it's the opposite. Where you sort of you cop to almost everything, except that, well occasionally I wonder how many coeds I can fit in the trunk of my car with the aid of a chainsaw. Wait, what? Look over there. You know, and you don't want to say that. So you kinda of pull back on that kind of stuff. But so I show I got there late to begin with because traffic was bad and then you're sitting there looking at your watch, realizing you're paying for something that you're not receiving. Because you know, you're supposed to be there at six and it's like six ten. Then I get in there and I realize I'm a little low on caffeine. And I'm like, hold on, I got some tea before, because there's no coffee, of course. Because why would you want to have coffee? Heaven forbid. Why would you want to have coffee in a place where people are suffering from mental breakdowns all the time? Why would you possibly want to make things better by giving us access to caffeine? So I have to get the Lipton tea, and then he's got this crusty-ass hot, you know, the water cooler thing or whatever. But it's the kind where you press the hot water button, and it takes four minutes for the water to heat. And so I'm sitting there. Watching time tick away, and then I realize I have two choices. One is to just stand in front of the water cooler while it heats the water, getting closer and closer to mental collapse because I don't have my coffee. Uh, or B, just to sort of give up and go in there, and then just to sort of slump over into like a stupor while I'm talking to him. Anyway, this is the whole thing. So I went to the. That was the highlight of my my shrink appointment, is that he saw me have some sort of a collapse over the fact that I couldn't get any caffeine. But today, you'll be happy to know. And by happy, I mean happy. It's not you that I have a dental appointment this afternoon. So, <laughs> shrink yesterday, dentist today. God, you. God only knows what to... A proctologist tomorrow, probably. Um, I'm
2: envious, because I've never been to a shrink.
1: That's a lie. Oh, wait, hold on. Let's keep a list now. You have never cut yourself shaving. Correct. You have never, and I'm quoting from you now, come into contact with a moth. Correct. And you have never been to a shrink. No. How is that? If I may ask, Jim, this is a personal question, but sure. is that because you couldn't afford it did because you didn't, you didn't feel you needed it, and we all know that's not true? Or is it because you didn't want to go...
2: I've just never felt.
1: You're from New England. I thought everybody had a shrink up there. I Thought it was like one big ordinary no, people. No, they put
3: all their emotions inside into a black little ball. Uh-huh. And they in, never share them into with
1: a cable knit sweater. Correct. All right. Into a cardigan. I thought everybody was like Timothy Hutton up there, where you're like end up weeping in the in the lap of Judd Hirsch. No. All right. Well, whatever. All right. You're not. You just. You've, you've never felt like it would have been beneficial to you. No. Whatever. All
2: right. I mean. Well, I mean, most of the things wrong with
1: people are just unsolvable. Well, see, that would be my take as well. I mean, I, that's, that's sort of my belief. Uh, so I guess I can't really disagree with you too much that I think... Uh, I think things are what they are, and uh, personalities, just like politics, are really never going to be fixed. Mm -hmm. uh, That being said, the insurance is paying for it, so what do I care? Um, Well, that is the best part. Yeah, I mean, really, Mm -hmm. I mean, it ends up costing me like four dollars.
6: So that's the feel-good part of it.
1: Yeah, really. I mean, it's just really. That's. I mean, when you think about it, really, my shrink appointments are just another way for me to stick it to the man by making my insurance company pay for everything. I think if I had to pay for it myself, I might actually stop going. That's a good point, Tim. I really, Tim, you have actually gotten to the core of me way faster than the shrink has been able. Well is it true? Now that I think about it, that probably is why I continue to go to the shrink. Because I like the idea of forcing the insurance company to pay money for things. Because mm-hmm. I'm paying money to them. F them. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there you go. All right. Maybe I don't need to go anymore, Tim. Maybe you've solved it. Uh, all right. Anyway, so dental appointment uh, tonight. Not at the crazy Not at the crazy Asian dentist, though. I'm going to a,
3: Not the one in the strip mall.
1: The one that, you know... Oh, I see a whole
0: lot of blood. Now you bite down on rag.
1: I'm not going to that guy. Um, I have this Sarah Palin scoop. Should I just read a couple teaser sentences here and then we
2: should break, maybe? Yes, because
1: this is teasing time. It is true. Uh, we have this now from our good friends at the National Enquirer. And as we always say, they are the least sued paper in America. That is a checkable fact. And when the Enquirer says something is true, friends and neighbors, it's true. The National Enquirer, and by the way, uh, David Perel from the Enquirer was on us yesterday with this. so It's not like I'm the first person to get the scoop. The Enquirer has learned exclusively... That Sarah Palin's oldest son, Track, the other guy that's going off to, uh, on today, 9 11, is he the guy who's joining the military today or going off to war today? Oh, yeah,
2: 9 11 is the day that he joined. Yes.
1: The National Enquirer has learned exclusively that Sarah Palin's oldest son, Track, was addicted to Oxycontin for two years, the past two years, by the way, which means up till very recently snorting it, eating it, smoking it, and even, wait for it, injecting it. As TRAC heads to Iraq as part of the U.S. Armed Forces, Sarah and her husband Todd were powerless to stop his wild antics. The Inquirer also has details about TRAC's use of other drugs, including cocaine. Tonight at... So there you go. Uh, by the way, is he
3: gone now, or are they just keeping him in hiding? And well, he's.
1: I think he's joined today. I think today is when he uh, joins the military. Yep. I'm sure it's a coincidence that it's today. Uh, today is the day that he begins serving his country, uh, where presumably he will not be able to continue his two year addiction to Oxycontin. So there you go. By the way, as Lycus noted yesterday, and I will simply make this one small observation lest, lest the drumbeat of
0: Leave Her Family
1: Alone begins again. Uh, this is the past two years. And presumably, based on this article, they were aware of it. Because not like they learned about it when the Inquirer reported it. I mean, you would imagine the family knew about that, which means that as the chief law enforcement agent in her state, Sarah Palin did not, in fact, enforce the laws as they applied to her own family. So, you know, that's just an FYI. We'll have more on that later I on.
3: like how someone shoves their family in your face and almost says, like, don't talk about him, but look Seriously. at him and hear everything I have to say, but don't talk about him.
1: All right, we'll take a break. Back after this, Lisa Desjardins, Steve Kastenbaum. Later on, Peter Carlin, Top 5, High Concept Thursday. More. Stay there. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503 733 This email says, Rick, let me get this straight. You were stressed and angry in traffic while trying to get to your shrink appointment on time, and then you had some anxiety breakdown while waiting for a cup of tea, all because, quote, you realized you were paying for something you're not actually receiving, yet your insurance covers it, so all you're paying is $4 an hour. Maybe it is a good thing you're seeing a professional. You have real problems. Well, I suppose that's true. I guess maybe the more effective way to stick it to the insurance company will be to book the appointments and then not go, and then have the insurance company pay anyway. That's like sticking it to the man three different ways. All right, I'll take it under advisement, sir. Let's welcome
6: now to the Rick Emerson From the Hill...
1: Uh, CNN Radio Correspondent to the Stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello there.
6: Hey there, how are you doing?
1: I am fantastic. How's life? How are things?
7: Th- things are things are good. Things are groovy. I can't complain.
1: Are they, in fact, groovy?
7: They are, in fact, groovy. You know, tomorrow, uh, is, is sh- should you guys want... I'm working on a story that we may talk about tomorrow, and I can also tell you about uh, the, the craziness of... of uh, it's, it's good. It's good as a journalist, but trying to get this story... Uh, approved by the cnn legal team and also the cnn standards and practices team has been pretty hilarious
1: i like what i'm hearing
7: yeah so i mean and it's, re- it's really i don't think there's a ton of cause for it but it's it's just been a while you know because we're in radio we're not we're not a part of the big system so we just have not been able to navigate the C- big cnn channels on this story so uh hilarity tomorrow i think
1: let me just say three quick things one uh, I mean, I'm not saying that CNN is better or worse or different or whatever, but I can tell you, as a, as somebody who works for the Columbia Broadcasting System, yes, I know from paperwork, CBS has never met a piece of paperwork that they did not like in triplicate, filed in nine different places, and then as Douglas Adams would say, buried in soft peat moss for three <laughs> years before finally being submitted to the appropriate filing authority.
7: Yes, precisely, and I think you know, and the truth is, once we found the right people. Uh, you know the legal guys. It, it's just it's just bizarre because we. I think there are four lawyers that work full time for CNN. There may be more, and at different times we've been told that each of the four is in charge of radio, almost as if like not it.
2: Yeah. So well, one
1: well, of
7: those has been going on. Well, that actually
8: uh,
1: that actually leads me to my second point, which is that uh, our good friend Aaron Duran uh, who uh, you met at the Rick Emerson roast back in May? He actually was in Atlanta for DragonCon 2008, oh, which is like yes. a you know, like a big nerd fest. And as part of it, he went to tour the CNN you know center in Atlanta because why not and be a big right. fan and hey hey. And so they're giving him the tour of the CNN center, and they pass by some I don't know broom closet or something, and he says, "What's that?" And they go, "Oh, that's CNN Radio. We don't need to see that." <laughs> And they walk and literally, he actually said, well, "No, no, 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 I'm a, I, you know, I'm a big fantasy in the radio, and in fact, I actually kind of work with one of the affiliates, so I'd love to." And they're like, "No, no, no, that's fine, we're going to move on." Oh, no. like, they wouldn't. He requested three times to see it, and they wouldn't let him. They would say uh, it's pointless. We got to see the commissary.
7: Oh no, that's yeah. terrible! Well, you know, he would have had to put on the, uh, you know, biohazard suit, I guess, and all yeah.
1: that. Um. Okay, so yeah. we'll talk about uh, news and happenings and whatnot, and then don't let me forget though, as we sort of wrap this whole thing up. Uh, Yesterday I gave you the great suggestion for the Sarah Palin doll where you pull the string and it says, you know, it it says something like, uh, cut funding for teen mothers. And then you pull it again and it just uh, speaks gibberish. So I got another one of those today. Oh. Another great idea. Oh, okay. And I hope that there's some operative listening because otherwise these ideas are just falling on deaf ears.
7: Uh, you know, if I if only I had a speaker that could broadcast down to the, to like, outside the Senate chamber, which isn't that far away.
1: Well, you're people who knows people.
7: Uh, you know, I'll, I'll see what I can do. You know, yeah, I, don't, I don't know anybody.
1: But doesn't this seem like there ought to be. I mean, is there some sort of. I ask you, knowing that you don't know the answer. It seems like there ought to be some sort of 800 number or some sort of. Uh, you know, like one of the. Do you have an idea? Do you have an idea for invention you'd like to package and submit to industry? One of those 800 numbers you hear on talk radio? I wish that either party. We'll just put up an 800 and go, look, do you have an idea for a great smear campaign? Call this number. Because, man, I'd be calling that number every five minutes.
7: Geez, and the, this is the ultimate political catch-22. You've got a great idea for getting ideas, but there's it, it, that doesn't exist, so That's you can't what I'm actually get it out. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, well, speaking of uh, smear and whatever, uh, so I don't understand the story about. Please to explain now. I'm just yeah. going to read this off the page. Okay. Key government officials doing business with the energy industry. Had sex with, used illegal drugs with, and accepted gifts from representatives of oil and gas companies. They were supposed to be signing contracts with. So.
7: And so, what's there not to understand there? I <laughs> guess.
1: I guess my thing is, when you say key government officials, right. uh, is that like elected officials, that appointed officials? And when you say having sex with folks from oil companies, is that like some girl in the front office, or is that like uh, the guy who chairs the Exxon?
9: Well,
7: we're still putting together exactly who was involved here, but we know that this report coming is essentially an, an auditor's report, an auditor from the Department of the Interior, uh, it says that there were 19 people, um, from the department's Denver staff, and they're called oil marketers. But, but these are guys, part of their job, they, they all have different jobs, obviously, but, Big part of their job is dealing with, um, who gets offshore drilling leases, who gets royalties, how those royalties get to them, um, dealing with the U.S. laws on those royalties, which, which have been pretty controversial in the last few years. And these are the guys that really kind of, Control part of the spigot for, you know, who gets money and who gets leases, uh, for offshore drilling. And this report says that 19 of those people, uh, got gifts and gratuities from a whole bunch of companies, Chevron, Shell, Hess, um, all of them. And then, you know, the report goes on to say, uh, employees frequently consumed alcohol had used cocaine and marijuana and had sexual relationships with oil and natural gas company representatives who, uh, referred to some of those government workers as the, uh, as like the MMS chicks which is kind of a which is a reference to the their their department the MMS.
1: Oh, I was going to try to come up with some sort of I was going to sort of rip on yeah, that
5: crudity.
7: I think I think it's 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 there for the taking. MMS stands for Minerals Management Service, a classic government acronym. Right. Uh but you know the MMS chicks uh you know it, obviously we this has to play out. We don't know those 19 employees side of the story. But uh yeah, this is the deal is essentially now I don't know that they're Establishing yet a quid pro quo that that these folks did favors for these energy companies, but uh-huh. you know it, it doesn't doesn't feel like it's on the up and up. And I
1: really, I mean, I know that you have to. We were having you and I had a little email conversation last night about yes. this. That you have to sort of you have to be objective and wait for facts and wait for sort of verification. <laughs> but I mean, the the even uh, look, let me just tell you this. If it's based on my even in my lame life, I've learned a few lessons. And one of them is. No one gives you cocaine just because they're a good person. No one says, hey, I've got all this cocaine. I, uh, more than I could possibly snort. I, uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give some to somebody else. There is always a, a quid pro quo to that. So, you know, and someday when I am the irremovable, unimpeachable dictator of this, uh, country of ours, I'm just going to have a department of graft. I mean, it's just got to be, the bribes have just got to be regulated. You know what I mean?
7: That, well, you know, uh, some countries uh, kind of you would say have that. Yeah, I suppose, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's, not, it's not really called that. But everyone kind of know knows what it is. I, I don't know if that works—if that works so much better. But it's—it's it's a thought. Uh,
1: this is the last time I will ever mention. You guys have to you. that
7: crazy mail-in primary. Maybe you guys could just do that in, uh, in Oregon.
1: You know where we're leading the uh, nation in the, in reform here. Is what we're <laughs> we are on the bleeding edge, as they say. Yes. Uh, the la- this is the last time I will ever mention this book, uh, "The Way to Win" by Mark Halperin. Uh, yes. which which really, uh, I know you said you don't want to read it because you don't want to be unconsciously lifting ideas from it, and I can sort of, I can grok that, but...
7: Nice, <laughs> very nice reference.
1: But for you know anybody who really views Valentine's politics th- through yeah. the same jaundice prism uh, that we do, it's a great book to read, and it talks about this sort of freak show element of politics and how they've changed over the last 15 years because of the rise of so-called new media, the loss of civility, the hyperpolarization of the electorate, uh, the, the the end of the Cold War, which sort of gave us a lot of free energy and hate to be using on other people like Bill Clinton. And uh, what was my point? Wait, no, one mm-hmm. second, N- no, no, wait. Oh, and but one of the things they constantly talk about is, I mean, they reference it constantly is the impact of and clout wielded by Matt Drudge in the Drudge Report. Okay. And how with his selection of headlines and on what he focuses, he can sort of sway the cultural wisdom to some degree. And it is interesting to note that within the last 24, 48 hours, something like that, he has started to lean heavily on headlines that, heavily on headlines that uh, imply that the momentum has been lost perhaps uh, forever from the Obama side of the ticket.
7: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think that you know well, if you're talking about like drudge's influence, I, I think that's really I think that it that waxes and wanes, first of all. You know, and I I think that it, it definitely depends on the story, it definitely depends on the day. And and that is definitely an area outside of my expertise. I don't I don't well, know. And
1: I and I and I guess I apologize for not framing the question more specifically. I guess my, my question to you is as someone who is in Washington is sort of is down there you sort of on the street hearing the whisper stream as they say, is it your journalistic assessment that the wave does come and go, and that right now the wave is against obama uh,
7: it, do, it does feel that way I think, I think that's right as, as far but but, I, but you know this goes back to my whole theory, my kind of political convergence theory that that it voters are moving toward the middle, and that the minute someone gets up, they kind of move the other way. So I, I think it's possible that all this momentum shifting toward McCain in, you know, a month and a half could shift back to Obama. Like could be like, hey, they really beat up on Obama. Hey, he's, he really is an underdog. You know, maybe we should give him a look. I think that voters kind of are, are second-guessing everything, and I, I think that this moment for McCain could kind of been around for Obama. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, that's if my, if my theory is correct, but, right. but I think
1: it's possible. Hey, as we sort of wrap this up, I'm going to uh, give you this is today's fantastic idea that uh, an operative from a political party should use and probably won't. Excellent. I, I can't take full credit for this one, by the way. Usually these things come fully formed out of my head. The germ of this was something that I heard a guy, a caller, say on the Tom Leica show yesterday afternoon, uh, and a caller just made a comment in passing that uh, struck me as pretty great. So I've taken it and I've sort of expanded upon it. So I've forgotten his name. So you, uh unknown anonymous caller to the Tom Laika show, this sort of originated with something you said. Somebody really needs to start, and I know the Democratic Party can't do these things officially, somebody needs to start rolling out uh, the following phrase, something to the effect of, if Sarah Palin runs the country like her family, 18% of us will be pregnant, 18% of us will be hooked on OxyContin, and 18% of us will be under federal investigation. <laughs> There you go. I know that you can't uh, remark upon that except for your polite chuckle, which you gave me, and I thank you for that. Nice, yes. All right. Lisa (laughs) Desjardins, as always, are you on tomorrow?
7: Um, I am on tomorrow, and, you know, I'm checking. I've got to check my live file here. Um, I think this, this is the second time this has happened. I'm also scheduled to be live with you in another hour and a half.
1: Well, you know, hey, if you find yourself at loose ends, feel free to call back.
7: Okay, cool. You know, I told, I told Liz, I said, are you sure they want me twice? She said, oh yeah, I'm sure. They want you to talk about the Pentagon during one and mm. the, you know, oil scandal in the other. Yeah. I said, are you sure?
5: That's
1: I not think. really, uh, that's not really true.
7: That's, what, <laughs> that's kind of how I figured. Yeah. So,
1: uh. Liz is a sweet
5: girl.
7: She's really sweet, and she definitely, she's one of those you kind of. Completely got thrown into the deep end of the pool. Hey, we got to. We're going to deal with the hurricane and elections, Liz. Uh, there's the phone. There's the computer. Go. Now,
1: you have Card blanche. You call us. You call us whenever you like.
7: Okay, I may do. All right.
1: Thank you, Lisa. Okay. All there right. You, Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen, fantastic. Eighteen percent of us would be pregnant. Eighteen percent of us would be on oxycontin. Eighteen percent of us would be under federal investigation. You know that's genius. That's pretty interesting. See, uh, the guy, the caller, to like us made the comment about. Something, something. Her family, the country. Twenty percent of us would be pregnant, or whatever. And I, I sort of took the the rest around with it. So, and anyway, So, props to that guy, whoever he was. It was, a, that was a great quote. All right. Five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Let's take a moment now to talk to a Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, Steve Kastenbaum. Um, so I, I did want to talk about this today and, and touch on it a, a bit. And I know it's um probably a busy day for you and a stressful day for you. Uh, but I wanted to ask you uh, a couple things, which is that so here we are, we're you know, we're seven years on uh, from 9/11, and because I have only been uh, to New York sporadically, been there you know four or five times for a few days each, uh, you know some of that before 9/11, some of it after 9/11. In in your opinion, as a journalist and as a New Yorker, um, uh, how strong and significant, if at all. Are the ripples in that cultural pond now seven years later? In other words, to what extent are people able to move on, and to what extent is everything still fundamentally changed? And that's a big question. But
8: well, well, in the grand scheme of things, you know, talking in general terms here, when you look at the entire city, uh, we we've recovered and, and had recovered a long time ago. You know, the city went back to its normal routines. Uh, not more than a few months after uh, 9/11, uh, more or less, and uh, you know the World Financial Center and, and all those other institutions downtown, like the stock exchange, Nasdaq. You know they're they've, they're you know back up and running, and they they they've been that way for many many years. Uh, but emotionally, the the scars are still there for a lot of people. Both, uh, some who just happened to be down there on 9/11 but more so of course for the relatives of the the 2751 victims uh many of whom never received any remains then their loved ones remains never recovered from ground zero it is
1: uh, it, it is just one of those one of those horrible things that also has i don't even know the the right way to phrase it but it is um uh, it is one of those things that has repercussions obviously it, At the very outset, but then throughout the years and throughout the decades, sometimes when you're not even necessarily expecting it. And I would imagine that a lot of everything that happened, the physical trauma, emotional trauma, the financial uh, impact of it, all of that, it probably does manifest itself, uh, especially in New York, probably in ways that people don't necessarily anticipate or, or see coming in any way
8: and it and it definitely you know rears its head uh, every year on this day you know as i was down at ground zero and uh this morning i got there very early of course so you know life goes on in all those office buildings around uh the world trade center site uh, on this day it's not like it's not like work comes to a halt down in the financial district but people leaving the subway stations getting off the uh, commuter buses down there are very quiet when they walk to work on this day uh, you don't see any smiles you don't hear any chatter between people as they're wa- walking to work uh, in the way that you would on on any other uh, day during the year so you know very everybody's very conscious uh, of this day and what it means you know uh, and it's a very emotional day and uh, earlier in the day of course it, it began with uh, bagpipes coming out. And then they started reading uh, the names of, of the 2,751 victims, and uh, I'll play you a clip of that. Danielle Ann DeLee.
9: Joseph A. De La Pietra.
8: And the reason I uh, chose that one, the second name, Joseph De Pietra, is uh, a friend of mine. It's her brother's. Uh, it's my friend's brother, someone I, uh, I've known for a long time. I knew her in, since birth, you know, through high school, And her brother passed away on 9-11 and, you know, things like that. You know, there are lots of people who aren't directly connected to uh, what happened as far as the the tragedy is concerned, yet they know somebody who was. Well,
1: I uh, I speak for everybody uh, here on the show and in the audience, and I say that uh, our thoughts are with you uh, today. And uh, you know, I have I have really nothing. I have no glib way to close out the call beyond that. So um, to whatever extent it is possible, my friend, enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, we will talk to you very soon, Steve.
8: Thank you very much. I'm sorry uh, to bring you down on on you know on the show. Not, not at all. Fun.
1: Not at all. All okay. right. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.
8: Hold on. All right, there you go. Steve mom, ladies and gentlemen, in New York City.
1: All right. Uh, it's 503 This is a good place to reset. We will take a break. We'll come back after this. Tim Riley around the corner from the Ministry of Truth. Uh, Later on, we'll do the top five. Fatboy Roberts will join us for the top five comic book villains who are not the Joker. Uh, What else? High Concept Thursday. Peter Carlin for the Oregonian. uh, Dorothy Carceseri for the National Enquirer. And more! Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show.
2: Why, hello, it's the
1: Rick Emerson Radio Program. The article continues. Girls would do anything for Track Palin, and he'd use his local celebrity to get other guys to steal things he wanted. The Inquirer reveals that Sarah Palin was so incensed by 17-year-old Bristol's pregnancy, she banished her daughter from the house. This is, uh, this is great. Here's another thing. A friend says, quote, Bristol was a huge stoner. I love this country. I've seen her smoke pot and get drunk and make out with dudes all over. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this sounds like Gossip Girl. All the guys had bragged they just made oh, out totally. with Bristol.
0: Wow.
1: All right. Uh, when Sarah found out the teen was pregnant by high schooler Levi Johnston, who hates his life more than anybody has hated his life ever, uh, she was banished from the house as part of the cover. Sarah Palin quickly transferred Bristol to another high school and made her move in with Sarah's sister, Heather, Sarah's sister, Heather, uh, 25 miles away. A mother's love. There you go. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley.
0: It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley.
2: Well, it'll be the last time that Empire and Supply has a company barbecue. It seems that the improperly disposed ashes from that barbecue sparked that massive three-alarm fire that destroyed the business on Monday, that big warehouse. Let's put all these in a paper sack. Actually, it was close. It was a plastic container, melted through the plastic, and burned down the business.
1: Who could see that coming, apart from, you know, everybody?
2: And the, the funny thing was, on the day that this happened, nobody even mentioned the company barbecue.
1: No. Don't we have a company barbecue coming up, Tim? Do we? Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. The Pig-A-Cue. Pig-Fest. The Pig-A-Cue. Pig no, it's next Friday. Oh, okay. Uh, no, tomorrow's, uh, no, tomorrow is uh, the 12th. Uh, next Friday is the 19th. So it is uh, one week from tomorrow, the uh, CBS Radio Pig-Fest will be happening so let's all remember to do you know here's the thing though as much as we as much as we like to poke fun i have no doubt the engineers will do this properly you know radio engineers know how to do stuff Mm -hmm. they know how to do things and and execute them flawlessly And, and they know not to put i don't mean to i don't mean to be prodding the company more after they've already suffered a substantial loss of you know a whole building but i think the engineers should know not to put ashes in a plastic sack i mean just call it a
2: hunch well hopefully they're not fired uh Willamette Week is uh, Did you say hopefully they're not fired? Yes. Too late. Willamette Week says Fire. Fired. Fired. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Let's move on. There are a whole bunch of illegal aliens working at Gordon Smith's business. That according to Willamette Week. Uh the company's called Western Frozen Foods. And it's in eastern Oregon. Apparently, uh a reporter also talked with a uh, talked with a tax preparer who well who helped five Smith employees in the last year that did not have Social Security numbers. Nice of them to help them out. So I guess the tax preparer, well, never mind. All right. Not that we should be surprised.
1: I'm surprised by almost nothing at this point.
2: A Medford woman accused in that cruel Craigslist hoax, the one which she told people to come on and take everything out of this house. Take it all. Take it all, and people did. Mm-hmm. Uh, she admitted to all the charges, so they dropped charges against her husband. Amber Herbert is uh, 28 Charged with uh, conspiracy to commit burglary, conspiracy to commit a computer crime, and a phony ad in Craigslist, caused the uh, Jacksonville Mail to lose uh, much of his property, and much of it is still missing. As a matter of fact, officers are still contacting people who were seen leaving uh, this fellow's home with all his stuff. If they return the items, no charges will be filed. But people who don't return it could be uh, looking for charges. I
1: do like the idea that the neighbors apparently just sat there all day on their, you know, on their front porch with a glass of iced tea. They're just watching some guy come by with a wheelbarrow and just take a whole bunch of crap out of their neighbor's house.
2: They always thought he was a generous fellow. <laughs> <laughs> he gives we need to... more like him. He gives to the community. He must be a community organizer. Uh... Roaming pit bulls forced a Milwaukee neighborhood to force a, lock- a lockdown in their local school. This happened when the principal of Linwood Elementary said he received a call from Milwaukee Police informing him two pit bulls were running loose on his campus. All the windows were shut. All the doors were locked, because these dogs can dogs cannon doors, if permitted to do so. Residents at a nearby apartment complex said the pit bulls have attacked at least two of their cats. The apartment manager said there have been numerous pit bull encounters on their property over the past several months. These dogs are killers. They kill animals. What makes you think they're not going to kill a kid? Good question. Neighbors pointed out a home where they say the dog's owner lives... Uh, and apparently, he doesn't care.
1: It is always pit bulls, too. I mean, one doesn't like to stereotype, but it's, it, you know, are like packs of uh, of schnauzers or something roaming around the neighborhood. Nobody ever.
2: It,
0: yeah, nobody.
1: He doesn't control his dachshins at all, and I'm sick of it. it it's, it's like the gene that prompts, and it's always guys, the gene that prompts guys to buy pit bulls or Rottweilers seems to be the same gene that fails to then regulate exactly how you take care of your dogs. It's never one or the other. The guy who doesn't take care of his dogs and just lets them roam freely, taking down wild gazelle all over the city, mm-hmm. that's the same guy that feels the need to buy some huge... You know, you know, it's like a, it's like a canine SUV. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The whole lot of like, uh, no, 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 don't look at my pants. No, 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 don't look at my crotch area at all. Look at my dog. Right, here's Tim Riley.
2: The loud blast of train horns in northwest Portland's Pearl District could be muzzled. Apparently the city wants to implement a quiet zone there. Some residents of the Pearl District said... They're fed up with the noise of trains. Yes, they hold um, on. Let me understand
1: this. They want to get rid of the train noise as it goes through a highly populated area.
2: Yes. All right, just making a note. At so. 3 a.m., they come honking, complain the neighbors.
3: <laughs> so them just silently crawl through. And, and
1: apparently, since they know that they're
2: irritating the neighbors,
1: they're honking even more. I want the trains to go through at full speed with no horn whatsoever. I want those tra- I want those rails greased. I want everything on that train lubed within an inch of its life so it makes no noise at all. I would like the ground to be reinforced so there is no vibration. I'd like the headlight on the front of the train to be put out permanently. I would like the tracks to be recessed into the ground so that no one even knows the train is coming by. And I want no sound, horn, or warning of any kind.
3: It seems like if you choose to live next to a train station, you kind of got
1: to deal with, you know, what's coming to Oh, you. no, that's it. You, know, you you don't want any warning the train is coming? That's <laughs> fine, you bastards. Whatever. This is in the Pearl District. Right? People live there. Yes. All right. Well, there you go. So let's let's all try to grant all the folks in the Pearl District their wish of not having any warning when a train is going to come, in, uh, you know, barreling along at 100 miles an hour, ready to squash anything in its path. Done and done. I vote yes.
2: So now the bike people want to turn four miles of Northeast Going Street into a bike-only boulevard. This project would run from North Vancouver to Northeast 72nd, and they'd have uh, cyclist crossing signals at Northeast MLK and 33rd. Bike traffic would be removed from nearby streets over the next three months. Uh, the members will try to gain support from nine neighborhood associations within a half mile of going and funding from the city. This is
1: a fundamentally stupid idea, and I'm going to tell you why. Yes. Uh, because it's not like I'm opposed to having some place where people can uh, people can bicycle. I mean, I'm all. You know what we need, though? We just nine need. Train horns. What, what, <laughs> we once and for all. Once and for all, we just need to buckle down in this in this city of ours. And I mean, look, I, okay, we're not going to fix potholes. Fine. Apparently, the potholes. There's a pothole, and I complain about this every time this comes up. There's a pothole like the size of the Sea of Tranquility in, in, in front here, right by the radio station. And if you notice this, have you noticed that massive pothole on front is directly in front of that Mercedes dealership? You would think the Mercedes people would somehow just, like, buck up and get the $40 to get it filled or something. And
3: the sidewalk in front of the Mercedes dealership is the worst piece of sidewalk from anywhere on. I mean, mean,
1: no problem with the Mercedes dealership, no problem with their fine automobiles. It seems like they themselves, they would just take it upon themselves to get sort of their aesthetic act together in front of that place if the city's not going to do it, and the city clearly isn't. So if the city's not going to pay for potholes, uh, you know, that's why. I mean, I know they're going to be, you know, busy enforcing the smoking ban and everything, because that's, like, job number one in this state. But if they're not going to fix potholes, we ought to just bite the bullet and spend whatever it takes, one year, one time, to put bike lanes on every street in the city. And then you wouldn't have to do this insanity of closing off a street and making it biking only. And here's how you know that's not going to work. Because the corollary to that, as read by you, Tim Riley, in the story, is that the streets nearby are going to have, quote, bike traffic eliminated, which isn't going to work. Because people just don't respond well to being told what they can do and what they, what they don't do. And you're not going to be able to keep bicyclists off that street. And so you're going to have closed one street and yet not ease the congestion on the other street at all. All you will have done is closed off a street that cars used to be able to go on, thus increasing congestion on roads that already are clogged with cars and that are still going to have bicyclists. This is a stupid idea.
2: I'll put this in the stupid idea pile. Please
1: put it in the refuse pile, Tim. I don't wish to see it again.
2: Take it away. Oregon's Transportation All you did right there
1: was just rattle an unrelated piece of paper by the microphone. That's bitter of the mind. Oh, I'm sorry. You just ruined the moment. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tim. I didn't mean to shatter the illusion. put
2: creativity into that. It was
1: so great. Take that, shred that story with extreme prejudice and make sure that it never sullies my visual field again. Tim.
5: All right. There
1: you go.
2: Would you prefer we put cameras in here? Oh. Uh, No, I would not, Tim.
1: No, I would not.
2: There are some people in here that love to make cables. Yes, endlessly. Yes, they do. Here's Meanwhile, Oregon's transportation commissioners (laughs) are making some changes in the state's new driving licensing law after receiving hundreds of complaints. The law, which took effect July 1st, is uh, designed to crack down on illegal immigrants. uh, They require all drivers to pull their. It's stupid anyway. (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean to be. I don't mean to be negative, Nelly. I haven't even finished the story okay, yet, I'm gonna but officials it. say the new requirements created problems for people who have married multiple times, used nicknames, or have been adopted. So on Wednesday, the State uh, Transportation Commission adopted revisions to the new law, which will expand the list of documents to connect a person's legal residency status to his or her legal name.
1: I don't understand anything
2: about this. What was Well, the that's pro- true because they don't exactly tell us what they're doing.
1: What was the problem with the driver's licenses? I mean, I know you, what the effect was, but I mean... When they said that they're revising changes to the driver's
2: license, like what? Well, people have nicknames that aren't on their birth certificates. Such as uh, Stubby Martin went in. His real name is actually Frank. Three Fingers Brown. Yeah. yeah. Joey the Chin. Johnny Two Times. Frankie the Shiv. Um, well, let's back up for a second. This is... and, uh, apparently, you had to produce a birth certificate. That was one thing. Okay. So... so when people get married numerous times, obviously, they have different names.
1: Okay. So this was creating a problem for folks with multiple names. Yes. Well, first of all, we can just solve this by losing this insanity of changing your name when you get married. Just pick a name and keep it. And it could be such a baby about everything. I
2: mean, Desjardins. Exactly. I mean, At least said Desjardins couldn't get an Oregon license now. I'm just
1: saying, you know what?
2: You're born, you get
1: a name. Is it so much trouble just to keep the stupid name. Mm-hmm. Uh, so,
5: well, what what about, do nowadays, the, anyway. what?
1: But what about nicknames? I don't understand. Stubby. But, I mean, when you say that the new drivers... I'm really trying to be involved in my community here. When the story says mm-hmm. that the drivers' licenses created issues for people with nicknames. Yes. What do you suppose that means? Who gives a cop a nickname? What's your name? Uh, Knuckles. I, the cop holds you what's your name. Uh, my name is Sarah Dillon. You know, my name is Ricky Roma. Whatever it is. And then the cop says, okay, and then they look on your driver's license. Yeah. W- what seems to be the problem?
2: I don't know. I've never had a problem.
1: All right. I'm done caring about this. It makes no sense. So the story Can I I meant... get rid of
2: this, too. Well, th-
1: th- whoever wrote that has explained it badly. Hey, in Oregon though, do they do that thing here where if you're underage, the driver's license is hor- uh, is vertical, not horizontal? I know they
3: do in Washington, but that is got- brilliant. Mm-hmm. That
1: is really brilliant.
3: You might know, learn yesterday in my OLCC class. How no, to- Sarah. For two hours, we studied real IDs and fake IDs from uh-huh. different like states. It was fascinating. You, we could see, like, the comparisons and stuff between people doing, like, the fake ones and the different versions and stuff.
1: This is your OLCC training, of course? It sure was. Did they also teach you how to press John Proctor between stones till he confessed to being a witch? No. Just a question. Uh, all right, but that thing about making the uh, the driver's licenses for the underage mm-hmm. vertical, I don't know if we do that here in Oregon, but we ought to. See, that's something I would pay for. Because Actually,
3: I are going you don't do that in Oregon. But, if you're a minor, you have a red... Uh, but that's what
1: I'm saying. We sh- I'm saying I would totally pay yep. for that. Whatever. What, what is the, How do they designate underage licenses um, instead here? Instead
3: of a license, like it has like a red, uh, like around the square, there's another red line around it that says, you mm. know,
1: minor. Fair enough. That vertical horizontal thing is genius, though. It's like a picture menu for bouncers.
2: Look, you out, you in. Here's Tim Riley. So apparently you have to provide proof of your full legal name, such as birth certificate or a combination of documents. They create a link. Proving current full legal names such as birth certificate and a government-issued marriage certificate.
1: So when this is when you go to get your driver's license? Yes. Well, that isn't... I mean, the whole birth certificate thing... Uh, I don't even know. Let's let's flip a coin to see if we should even continue talking about this. Hold on.
2: I say no. My coin's already been flipped.
1: I don't have a coin. I work in radio. I literally have no... I, have I, I never carry I, never I don't have a cent. Literally, I don't even have a cent. What can I flip? Let me flip this copy of The Decline of Western Civilization to The Metal Years. All right. Dave Mustaine's side, I talk about it. Uh, Chris Holmes' side, uh, I don't. Dave Mustaine. All right. Here's the thing. So, I guess the driver's license thing seems fundamentally flawed anyway, because when you go in to get your driver's license, let's assume you have no license. You go in to get your driver's license. By definition, unless you have a passport, which I don't think you had, because I think you have to have a license to get a passport, by definition, you don't have anything with your picture on it. Correct. So... When you go in to prove your ID, prove your existence or whatever, your name for the driver's license, you're using like a birth certificate and what, like a phone bill or something? But that, could, that could be anybody's. Yeah. So there really are no – it does seem like it must be incredibly easy to game the system. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're never going to solve that.
2: What about a high school yearbook?
1: Well, I suppose. I mean, that would actually – I mean, that would actually be more proof than just carrying a birth – you know, the birth certificate doesn't have your picture on it. doesn't have anything no. on it. It all has that weird smudgy footprint. All right, I'm done carrying. Here's Tim Riley.
2: Police have arrested four suspected gang members at a Salem hotel. Officers noticed a group of about ten men acting nervously when they saw a policeman pull into the parking lot of a Motel 6. Uh, Clyde Stewart then tried to hide handguns on the tires of a nearby car when officers uh, were looking all the time. They discovered that one of the guns was stolen. Three of the four men were arrested on charges of parole violation. Some with the unlawful possession of a firearm, others possession of cocaine. So they all did bad things there. Something for our Iowa listeners. No, this is Idaho. I'm sorry. But most states are about the same. A crop duster's pilot's good intentions could land him a fine. The pilot was spurring a field near Potach <laughs> to kill grasshoppers <laughs> when he clipped the power line and started a fire. Firefighters and deputies arrived to put out the fire shortly thereafter. But the pilot had filled his crop duster with water and mistakenly dropped insecticide-laced water on the heads of the emergency responders and to kind of put out the flames. One deputy uh, is now suffering from a rash because of the insecticide and has been hospitalized. Everyone at the scene has been decontaminated. Life in the potato state, Tim. The pilot could face hard fines from the Idaho Department of Agriculture. Okay. From Florida comes word.
1: From uh, where, Tim?
2: Florida. That was me. A teenager wanted to be a serial killer has his hopes dashed. A prosecutor said uh, South Florida teen Michael Hernandez killed a friend at a middle school bathroom as part of a plan to become a serial killer. The Dade County District Attorney made the charges during opening statements at his murder trial. He methodically uh, plotted to kill a schoolmate. Both were eighth graders at the time. The DA argued that Hernandez is mentally ill. He added that evidence will show this is a classic case of insanity if convicted he faces life in prison.
1: You know, here's a question. Well, first of all, uh, I think that John Hinckley ruined that insanity defense for everybody. I remember my dad just being as angry as I have ever seen him about anything when John Hinckley was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently there's some some craziness where they actually let him go, like on weekend visits or something. They're trying to get him weekend visits or oh, whatever. Oh, I heard that, Yeah, We talked about that a while back. Uh, but after John Hinckley Jr. Uh, got off killing Reagan because he was nuts... It's become much harder to do that because everybody sort of viewed that as an unacceptable loophole in the system, which means even if you actually are crazy, it's probably hard to get a jury to find you not guilty by reason of being, you know, bat-ass nutty. Uh, Also, that prompts this question. He was hoping to become a serial killer. Mm -hmm. And so then my question is, and I ought to know this, and I don't, and I guess I'm sort of embarrassed that I don't know this. So then what is the definition of a serial killer?
2: Oh, that is a good question. Like what, if I were,
1: sure. like, what if I were just to shoot somebody here? Not that I would. Not today. But what if I were just to shoot somebody here, and then, like, tomorrow, I shoot somebody down the street? Does that make me a serial killer? Is it more than one? Is it more than one, or does it have to be on different days?
3: I thought it was, like, I think we've talked about this before. Wasn't it, like, three or something?
1: So what if I kill three people, like, one an hour? Does that make me a serial killer? If it's all in one day, but I kill three people, am I just a mass murderer? What is the the actual specific difference between mass murderer and serial killer.
3: Okay, serial killer is a person who murders usually three or more people with a cooling-off period between each murder.
1: All right, it doesn't specify how long that would be. And whose
3: motivation for killing is largely based on psychological gratification.
1: Hmm, As opposed to just a guy who's irritating. Yeah. All right, okay, fair enough. Well, there you go. Ask and ye shall receive.
5: Oh, that's creepy.
1: Richie, should I be taking... I'm I'm seeing calls kind of come and stay and go and go and linker and go, and I don't know if I'm going to be talking anything. All right. Uh, Hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
10: Hey, Rick, I wanted to vent about the driver's license thing and maybe clear it up for you a little bit. Please
1: do, because I'm complaining about, as I always do, I'm complaining about something about which I'm completely ignorant.
10: The problem is mostly with women.
1: Uh, As it always is, sir. Are you with me? (laughs) Hey, those women drivers. That's what I'm talking about. You You know what I mean.
10: Because when you renew your license, if you've ever changed your name, you have to bring in the proof why your name isn't the same as your birth certificate. So my mom, she's 64, went in. And she had to dig up a 37-year-old divorce paper to prove why her name isn't the same as on her birth certificate. And it was a hell of a time to try to locate that thing.
5: Okay, so
1: so she was born as like Jane Smith. She goes in to get her driver's license later in life, and she is then like Jane Jones. And And they want to know why. The man gives her trouble, and she says, because I get married. Well, can't they look that up, though? Aren't there marriage records for that kind of a thing?
2: Probably not the computers at the DMV. we would think, but none of the... But the government is just
1: so deeply inefficient and stupid. I mean, they really are. I mean, look, I know that I'm, like, another guy complaining about those fat cats in Washington. But, I mean, and this is a thing that I'm, like, the billionth guy with a microphone to say this. You could pick almost any company at random out of the phone book. And they run things better than the, the guys who are, like, keeping this whole joint together. It just makes no it's – like, it's like when the cop pulls you over and the cop says, uh, you know, I get your license, you know, and, uh, you know, and you here's your license. Well, let me see your registration. And then, the, and then if you don't have the registration, you get dinged for it, which makes no sense at all because you cannot tell me that there isn't some online database listing who the car is registered to. I mean, that's just a lie. So it's either they're just strictly to collect revenue or because the government is just largely incompetent or both. I, I just don't know. All right.
2: All right, Henrik? Yeah. Bye and have a great day.
1: Thank you, sir. See, I thought he was going to go one way. He went the other way.
2: You know what? We didn't get a call back from the guy who called us up while he was being pulled over by the cops yesterday.
1: No. Well, I'm thinking maybe he's in yeah. jail. Because then he sounded a little more unnerved than you would be if you were just getting a moving violation.
3: He sounded like he was aware that something
1: was coming. Yeah. That sounds uh, that's like a whole lot of like, sir, what did, I, what did I see you putting under the passenger seat? Nothing. Nothing.
2: You'll never take me alive. It,
1: that I think that may have ended uh, poorly for him. He may be uh, he may be in county as we speak. I are on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey Rick. What's up?
10: Uh, so the serial killer thing. Yes, sir. Um I think it's seven.
1: Now you're making. And are you making that up?
10: I. I it's I, sort of yeah that part. But it is um like the kill the killings have to be there has to be some sort of like. Ritualistic part to it.
1: So that, not, there must be a sort of methodology to the killing.
10: Exactly. It's not just I walked into a school and capped seven guys. All right. It was, you know, I tied them up and then, you know, the hole in the head and he ran out of the house and the cops said, oh, okay, see you later. This sounds you know.
1: strangely specific, sir. Is this a theoretical <laughs> scenario you're describing or is there some personal relevance here?
10: Well, wasn't was, uh, who was it that, um, it was the, the guy who, I mean, one of the serial killers, like, had drilled a hole in a victim's head.
1: Oh, that was Jeffrey Dahmer.
10: Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer. And then the guy ran away and, like, ran to the cops.
1: That had, let me tell you, the Jeffrey Dahmer trial had some of the best lines I've ever heard. Here's, here's one line. There's two, two great lines from the Jeffrey Dahmer trial. Uh, one is, this is a huge woman. I mean, she was massive. She was the wall of a woman. And... Uh, She was one of the, uh, one of the, uh, she was a mother of one of the guys uh, that Dahmer ended up, I don't know, like making into a, making into a souffle or something. And she's there or she's either testifying or she's just like in court to watch, you know, for some reason. And as she's leaving the courtroom, she screams at Jeffrey Dahmer. I remember seeing this in television. She goes, she goes, you ate my boy, Jeffrey. You ate my boy. Which is just like the weirdest thing. Like it's sort of an. Like a yeah. yes, and sort of a thing. And also, when when Jeffrey Dahmer was being interrogated about this thing, you're mentioning, so Dahmer, because he was, you know, crazy, and that was the guy who really was full-on crazy. He oh, yeah. had some dude tied to a chair, drills a big hole in his head, and, of course, your brain can't feel any pain, so this isn't really as cringe-inducing as it sounds, because your brain is has no pain organs. But, so, he drills a hole in the guy's head, and then, like, I don't know, he used, like, acid or something to get rid of, like, half of the guy's brain. So he, like, burns out half the guy's brain, and the, the cop says... And what happened? And so jo- Dahmer says uh, he appeared confused and had difficulty forming sentences,
6: <laughs> which I think would go
1: without saying. So that trial really was like the gold standard in terms of giving us uh, horrible, uh, horrible one-liners like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, thank you, right. sir. Thank you, thank you. Bye.
1: Jeffrey Dahmer, by the way, was last month's serial killer of the month. Oh Sue, uh, my word! One more on these, then we'll talk. To... Is there breaking news?
2: Kind of. It's in the entertainment field.
1: All right, hold on a second. I'm going to put these calls back on hold. Hang tight. Uh, should I. There's nothing bad. Should I guess?
2: You'll never guess.
1: Samantha Ronson and Lindsay Lohan are getting married.
2: No. All right, I give up. It has to do with greed. Michael Douglas. No. Kanye what? West. No. What? Oh, uh, Nicole Kidman. No. I got nothing. All right. Warner Brothers has just announced they're re-releasing the Dark Knight in theaters this January. Oh, well, yeah. It's just a matter of bringing it back to the remainder of the people. What remainder of the people?
1: Well, you know who that's for, Tim. That's for the the, uh, the Oscars. Yeah, that's totally for the the Oscar committee. Uh, Yeah, because I think I would say with some... uh, I believe that Heath Ledger at least deserves consideration, Mm -hmm. as they say, for your consideration. I don't know if he deserves to win or not. That's not not for me to say, at least at this point, because I don't really know who else is... I don't even – don't we have this thing every year where you forget what movies were even out this year? Yes. Because you always see, like, and the nominees are – and then it's some movie that you thought came out three years ago I'm I can
2: remember something I saw last month.
1: I can't remember anything else. Let me ask you this right now. So there's Heath Ledger. Apart from The Dark Knight and – and I'm not saying there is. I'm saying I don't really remember. It, was there another uh, significant male role this year where somebody really, like, blew the doors out?
2: I'm sure I've seen several movies, but I can't remember any. See,
3: I just wanted wanted to say
1: there will be blood, but that was last year. So I don't even know who else would be up this year. I have nothing.
3: Did you see that new movie with Robert De Niro and... uh... Righteous Kill? Yeah. Uh,
1: I've heard mixed things about about it. We did a screening last night, but I didn't go.
2: Uh, Oh, my gosh. Uh, Michael Douglas has been approached to play the role of Liberace. (laughs) uh, Steven Soderbergh. Biopic. I can see that. Can you?
1: I can kind of, as older Liberace, not young Liberace. Mm -hmm. If he's going to be older Liberace, no.
2: Yeah, he's supposed to be the older Liberace.
1: I can see that. I know, I I could absolutely see that. He has, uh, I would say, similar facial features, uh, similar structure. Not like that creepy Liberace dude that had all the plastic surgery to look like him.
2: Oh, yeah, that was weird.
1: That's the weirdest thing. No one talks about that story enough. That's one of the weirdest stories that has ever existed in this country. Mm -hmm. No one spends enough time talking about that. I want I to just have that guy, I want to have a camera following that guy around every day. That uh, Liberace, one of Liberace's uh, alleged romantic companions, uh, who had all this plastic surgery to look just like him. So Liberace then allegedly was having relations with a guy who looks exactly like him, which is great and weird and whatever. Um, I can see, and Michael Douglas is a gifted actor, I can see that. Mm-hmm. So. All right, Steven Soderbergh, you say? Yes. All right, well, fair enough. Uh, and this is all true. Hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show, hello.
9: Hi. Hi. How are you today?
1: I'm adorable. How are you?
9: I'm good. Hey, I'm going to go back to that stupid driver's license stuff. Yes. <laughs> um, what happens you get your driver's license stolen, you're not born in this area, you're, you've moved, you can't find your birth certificate, you know, you can't get your driver's license because you got to have your birth certificate, but in order to order your birth certificate, you've got to have your photo ID.
1: Yeah, the whole thing is it makes no sense. The whole system seems fundamentally flawed.
9: They don't care if you're taking a marriage certificate, your social security card, your life insurance policy, all your utility bills, anything. You know, you, you know all the questions about your driver's, you know, your driver's license, you know, your license number, and they don't care. So well, it's just you know, between a rock and a hard place. Well,
1: you know what it seems like they could be doing, and I think they sell these things for like fifty bucks at the sharper image. Why can't they just do a fingerprint thing? You know they. I, I don't think they do it here. Let me ask you, Tim, you, uh, you know about finances. At any banks here in Oregon, do they do that thing of, of your fingerprint?
2: They used to do that. I think they have the fingerprints at most of them.
1: They had, When I was in Utah, that was a huge story because a bank who I will not identify started uh, asking for a fingerprint for supplemental identification.
2: I believe Wells Fargo was doing that for a while.
1: And maybe they don't. Maybe there was a bunch of uh, outcry about it. But it seems like they could just, I mean, I think Richie has, I do believe Richie Bristol on his computer like his laptop has as his code it's not a, he doesn't type in a code it literally is a fingerprint reader on his laptop that he puts in his fingerprint and it scans it and only he can unlock the computer yeah, i don't know why they somebody
2: can... xeroxed richie's fingerprint and used that or cut off his hand
1: <laughs> but i mean why can't they do that at the dmv you know they when you get when you're born on your birth certificate fingerprint you go to get your license put it in the thing birth it the fingerprint
9: why can't they just question you and you tell them that day I got this is the year I bought it, got it. This is all the tickets I've had. This is my driver's license number. You can answer all these questions. Why can't they say? Oh yeah, that must be you. Why can't and they, they just ask me my? Proof?
1: Why can't they ask me my pet's name? Something. Right.
9: Anything. I mean, had my mom come in with me? Yes, this is her.
2: <laughs>
1: Your mother wouldn't lie. All right. Thank you, Lori. All right. Thank and you. That is a Lori on the Rick Emerson show. All right. All right.
2: Hello, Tim. So hey. here's a point to ponder. Yes. You know, with all these scavengers going around, chopping down towers and whatnot to steal the metal to cash it in, why is it that no one has gone out to the new Carissa yet because the wreckage of that is worth something like 330000 and just sitting there?
1: That's a good question. That's a really good question.
2: I think it is, too.
1: And you know what? I, I dis- thought
2: about that all morning. I was going to ask you.
1: And junkies, uh, we can all agree on this. Junkies, despite their many flaws, are motivated. Mm-hmm. They get things done.
2: It's been stuck on the beach since February 1999. Has it been that
1: long? Yes. I remember talking about that when it first happened. Just, yes. I mean, you must remember what that was like. Was just weeks and weeks and weeks and the weeks. new Kuruza,
2: The new, Kuruza, new Kuruza.
1: Every single day. It was like Alien Gonzalez or something. Just every day. It was the
2: second biggest story next to Keiko the Whale. Keiko the Whale. Keiko the it, Whale.
1: That is a really good question. Maybe it's because they don't have cars. I mean, Why junkie... doesn't
2: somebody organize a trip to Coos Bay? <gasps> I Susan
1: should. Rettles. We should completely do that as a wacky radio gag. We get a bus, we get a bunch of meth addicts, and we take them out there. <laughs>
2: wow, that sounds like fun.
1: <laughs> we take them. I'm sure CBS Legal will have no problem have a no big problem banner that
2: says meth addicts on the side of the bus as we're heading over.
1: And then just take them out there and say, like, look, there's a bunch of metal. Uh, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. That's a really, that is a really, really good question, because as you did, they chop down and cut up and sell everything made out of metal. This thing's been sitting there for almost ten years, and it's nothing but metal, like tons and tons and tons of it, Uh probably thousands of tons. Uh You see, you weren't here for the new Carissa. Mm -hmm. It is a huge ship, a massive—I forget how big—but it's a massive oil tanker that ran aground off the coast of Oregon, and it's long story short it ran aground in such a broken up embedded way they can't get it they can't get it back out to sea so? and it and it's damaged so they can't refloat it this it's is a,
2: 1700 tons of scrap
1: metal so that is 2000 tons so that is 2000 times 2000 mm. which is whatever 40 jillion or
2: wow whatever. like i don't know what's wrong with these crackheads that they haven't gone out there yet it,
1: but yeah it is a ship that ran aground and it is broken and wedged in to such a degree that as Tim pointed out it's been all it's been on the beach for ten years, and they can't get rid of it. They can't figure out a way to get it off the beach. It's kind of hilarious. And
3: it's, and it's in Oregon.
1: Yeah, it's off the coast. It's on the beach. Awesome. Coos Bay. It's like what? It's in Coos Bay. It's like one of those things about could God make a rock so heavy He couldn't lift it? Well, we made a thing like so heavy we can't get like we made the boat and it's so heavy we can't get it off the beach. We can't figure out a way to get rid of it. It's been there for a decade. Just roll. It crashed onto the beach and it's still there because we can't get rid of it.
3: Can you, like, that can you go up to it? I like, would imagine. It? Yes. Yeah, yes. go up there. And... Anybody
1: can. That's a great nobody question. Nobody will. I wonder if the people want to say something about this. All right. Let's, Let's hear uh, from the people. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
10: Hey, Rick, how's it going? What's up? Hey, uh, that new Carissa, one of the problems with it is it's really hard to get to. What, what do you mean? Well, to you to park on the road and hike down to it is like, what, half mile, three quarters of a mile? You know A what? whole
1: half mile. A whole half mile. Can I tell you, uh, meth, addicts, meth addicts will sit there with a nail file trying to cut down a power line because it's got 15 cents of metal.
5: True,
10: but, you know, the new Carissa is full of uh, a quarter-inch plate steel. You have to bring a cutting torch or a plasma torch.
1: But, well, then they have to bring one. But I'm going to – but, again – I guess my point though would be, do you not follow the news about about how devoted and dedicated and really ingenious and industrious drug addicts are in stealing things? I mean we had they stole an entire radio tower. We had the story where was that, Tim? Where was the city? Indiana
2: or someplace. Indiana like
1: that. It was some small town. They stole they cut down, cut up and hauled away an entire radio right, broadcast tower.
5: Yeah.
2: Well, that'd be easy to do though. Those
10: things are weak.
1: Alright, attention attention Portland well, meth addicts.
10: Well have you seen the ones like in Clackamas and over by the airport and stuff? All you gotta do is got the guide wires that fall over.
1: I guess my point is the the drug addicts I've known in my life, they're very, very clever. I mean well, and I mean that God, really that's sincerely. True. So that's true. But, well,
10: I mean just the just to be able to get there, cut it up to all the to pieces. I mean, to haul that stuff away, you're looking at a piece that's no more than like a foot square.
1: I think you're really. You know what it is? I think you're. I feel like you're laying down the gauntlet. I feel like you're issuing a challenge to to Oregon drug addicts now.
10: Yeah, I mean, just get about you know 15 meth heads and send them out there, and and they can scale that 20 foot tall ship and and go cut it up.
1: Excellent. All right, I like your style, sir. Thank you. Hey. Uh, have a good day. Thank you. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello.
10: Hello. What's up? They've been uh, several articles in the Oregonian over the past, I don't know, six or eight months about a uh, commercial salvage company that is, in fact, pulling the New Carissa out of there.
1: Okay, so they're so they're working on it, right? now. so are they pulling it out, are they cutting it up? What are they doing?
10: They're cutting it up.
1: All right, and so with like torches and then hauling it away and whatever. Is it yeah. some company that just like? I mean, did they have to buy the New Carissa to do that, or do they just show uh, up and I don't, do it? I-
10: they had to go through something to to get the rights, and they had to prove that they were capable of doing it, I believe. But, uh, in fact, they've been doing it for several months.
1: You know, this really raises an interesting point, Tim, which is that uh, about, uh, I think that maybe, I think maybe we are going about, and I say this knowing that it is true in many other ways, I was going to say we're going about the drug we're all wrong. Uh, that is a given. But specifically in this way. Because the drug war has just been such a colossal, just huge abortion. It's just been a gigantic failure. And it's been well noted. The amount of money we spend fighting drugs is almost exactly the same amount that Americans spend buying drugs. And that's just no way to win anything. So here's what we ought to be doing, maybe. Can we all agree that there, okay, uh, sir, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go, but listen to this point of the year because it's genius. All right. No goodbye. All right. Well, whatever.
5: Hmm. We don't,
1: we don't, we don't end the call politely anymore. We don't knock during dark rituals. Um, What was my point? Okay, so then we can solve like a 100. This is so brilliant. It's so brilliant. I've got to take a moment here. Wait. All right. We can solve like nine problems at once with this. Okay, so we've got the problem of, uh, of illegal immigration to this country. Uh, illegal immigrants to this country who, regardless of, of, of where one stands on the political spectrum, we can all agree that illegal immigration is bad for the economy. Yeah. It is. It is, that, that is that. It's
2: bad for the social fabric.
1: These are the facts, and they are agreed upon. Illegal immigration is bad for the country. It just is. Also, we got this whole drug war that we're never going to win. we got all these crackheads who are out there cutting down radio towers. And then this sort of dovetails back to uh, you know, the, the, the potholes in the street and the fact that they say, well, illegal immigrants, they do jobs that Americans won't do, which is like a lie. But we'll let that go for now. Yeah. Here's what you do. What we do is this. We say, look, you, crackhead, uh, what we're going to do is we are going to regulate your drug behavior. We are going to give you a stipend of drugs. In other words, you're not going to have to go out and steal for drug money. You're not going to have to kill people for drugs. You're not going to have to rob for drugs. We will give you a stipend of drugs. However, you will get that stipend of drugs at the end of an eight-hour workday for the state in which you do things that Americans might not want to do or that they're not doing now, such as filling potholes. So you tell, I'm telling you right now, you take a meth head, crack addict, whatever, and you say, look, here's a bag of cocaine. I'm holding it in my hand right now. We will give it to you at the end of the day or after you have filled five potholes, whichever comes first. That's it. In fact, you don't even say at the end of the day. You say, look, you got to fill five potholes. You fill five potholes, we're going to give you some crack and, and like a cot to sleep on tonight. Go. That's a great idea yeah. because they the potholes would get filled. They wouldn't have to go out and rob and, and kill people for money or for drugs. They would be in a sort of controlled environment, so they're not going to be out to, to effing everything up. Uh, they're not going to be out stealing from actual hardworking, uh, honest Americans, stealing their copper, stealing their, their metal, stealing their wire. And then we get all these jobs done uh, that, aren't, you know, that aren't being done now. And it addresses this issue of, well, we've got all these menial jobs uh, you know, that Americans won't do, which is why illegal immigrants come here, because they're given the jobs. We no longer give those jobs to illegal immigrants. We give them to crack users. And then there's a guy there with a gun watching the whole thing, uh, like, uh, what's his name, in cool hand Luke. So you fill five potholes, we're going to give you some drugs. Then you can have the rest of the day to lay around. I like it. That's a really good idea, and that would work. I think so. Oh, Tim, I'm telling you, there are times when I think that uh, this country will not truly come together until all of us and Jim Rooper run in the uh, place. I really feel that. Let's take a break. We'll come back after this. More from Tim Riley and his news. Um... What the hell else? Oh, uh, uh, Dorothy Carcesari for the National Enquirer, Peter Carlin for the Oregonian, Fatboy Roberts on the top five comic book villains who are not the Joker, and High Concept Thursday. Stay there. Cavalcade of Amusement. So here's what everybody missed during the break. So Sarah starts rooting around in uh, Richie's cabinet looking for something to eat. And Richie really is just a a pretty delightful combination of cultures. I mean, he's like half sort of, not even half, he's like a, like one quarter like frat dude and like one quarter like, I don't know, like, like Vegas swingers guy. And then like, he opened like one of his bottom drawers in there in the cupboard and it's like it's it's you know like a, a bunch of like a Vietnamese food that i can't discern where it's like a it's like a cartoon squid holding a cane and like juggling something and like you know it's called nick Wah Wah you know or whatever and what is this well it's good you got to eat it uh you know and then you know his endless bottles of cologne or whatever anyway so um so sarah goes in and what is it you got it's like a noodle thing
3: yeah it's not even top it's like, ramen it's like ramen it's like style some, yeah but it's like some package that i can't really read
1: so sarah's got this uh, this sort of big uh, noodle bowl And she goes into the kitchen, and you know, on the front of the coffee pot here, we have like most offices, it's a coffee pot, but then it's got that red spigot that you press down and it puts out hot water for tea or whatever. And so, Sarah is putting hot water into the bowl so she can make this ramen, and then a little bit of the hot water splashes onto the counter, and she drops part of the packaging into the bowl, now submerged in hot water, meaning she can't reach and get it out. And then she said the greatest thing, which is, this is why I don't cook. And that's funny because... It's interesting to know that that is, in fact, what you consider to be cooking. And don't get me wrong. I'm with you on that. (laughs) But I'm saying it's not really like a page out of Julia Child or something. You are, in fact, just adding hot water to noodles out of a pack.
3: And now I can not get the pack open. Yeah,
1: there you go. That's why you don't cook, Sarah. (laughs) Exactly. All right. 503-733-2970. That's okay. You know what I had for breakfast this morning? Uh, I did, in fact, have not the whole thing, but I did have, in fact, an English muffin uh, for breakfast. Uh, That's easy to make. But you know what? I didn't even bother to toast it because I can't be bothered. I just took the English muffin out, and I literally just found like I found like a piece of I found like a piece of Swiss cheese, and I think like part of a piece of ham, and I just jammed I jammed it into the English muffin, and I think I ate the whole thing in two bites. Because I don't really care about like food isn't really a thing for me. Like it's just you know just crap to keep you going. Mm-hmm. So I just sort of you know? it's more
2: of an inconvenience for me at
1: some point. If I didn't have to, I would love to not have to eat.
2: And I don't say well, that be- we could set up an IV in your arm.
1: Seriously, series but I, and I don't say that because I have food issues as such. But I know I, you know, I binge on junk food and stuff every now and again, and you know, whatever. But I, but I don't, you know. But some people say that they wish they didn't have to eat because they have issues with food. You know, maybe because of the, you know their family or the whatever. They just have issues with. They struggle with food. And I don't really struggle with food. I'm with Sarah. It's, it's an inconvenience. I hate the fact that I, I have to stop do and something eat. something else. That is and my thing. I hate thing.
3: that I get worn down if I'm not See,
1: eating. See, so that's what it is. And we sound a little psychotic about this, but you know, we sound Nietzschean, but you know what it is? You know why I hate uh, food? Because it's like a weakness. I hate that I have to stop and like put crap in my mouth and then chew it and swallow it so I can keep going without falling over. I do view it as like a personal weakness that I wish I could get rid of. I know that sounds a little crazy. I'm just saying it bugs me.
3: What's what freaks me out is that that is exactly how I feel. Oh
1: yeah, no, you and I are on the same page there. So if they could give me the RoboCop Gruel, just like a tube of stuff that I eat once a day keeps me going, that'd be fine with me. Doesn't even have to taste good. I don't care. Here's Tim Riley.
2: So here it is, 9/11, and uh, we're not going to play any politicians making speeches because it's stupid, really. And uh, they just made fools of themselves. But uh, one thing did catch my eye last night, and that is uh, Keith Olbermann's. Special comment, we'll play a little bit of it here, and, uh, well, it's very poignant. Plus, tonight,
11: as promised, a special comment about our sad anniversary tomorrow, or more correctly, what our sad anniversary tomorrow has been turned into by the presidential administration and the current Republican candidates for president and vice president. This is supposed to be a day of remembrance, remembrance of the attack, remembrance of the national unity which followed it, the most important of all remembrance of the dead. Instead, 9-11 has become a brand name a republican campaign slogan propaganda of the lowest form 9-11 has become 9-11 with a trademark logo 9-11 TM has sustained a president who long ago should have been dismissed or impeached It has kept him and his gang of financial and constitutional crooks in office without literally any visible means of support 9-11 TM has made possible the greatest sleight of hand in our nation's history the political party in office at the time of the attacks at the local, state, and national levels, the party which uniformly ignored the warnings, and the presidential administration already threw 20% of its first term and no longer wet behind the ears, have not only thus far escaped any blame for the malfeasance and criminal neglect that allowed the attacks to occur, but that presidency and that party have managed to make it seem as if the other political party would be solely and irredeemably responsible for any similar catastrophe in the future.
1: So let's uh, fast forward a little. bit So that's bit here. Keith Oberman. So that was last night. Yeah, you know it's almost. Uh, uh, if you want to
2: see the same thing, uh, the whole thing, it's on my website.
1: Uh, and so it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's almost. I mean, I, and and sometimes I use this phrase sarcastic, but I really do mean this now. Uh, it is almost hard to believe that they ever let that guy anchor the political, the Republican and Democratic conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, not because he's not good. He really is. It's a fantastic writer. delivers his speeches very well. But uh, it is, uh, you know, he. I don't know. He, he is really he is really carved out, and I don't I don't mean to be snarky about it, uh, because I, you know I do agree with what he's I do agree with what he's saying in the sense that things get co opted by the political establishment. Mm-hmm. But you know what Keith Oberman has been very good at is turning himself into a brand name. Yes, Keith Oberman has done a really masterful job as a, a, in the entertainment industry, which is the industry in which he works. Uh, I know that people think he's a newscaster; he really is an entertainer. Um, he's done a really great job, though, of creating his own brand. And he, he, is, he is Keith Oberman, guy who rants about George Bush. Mm-hmm. That is his brand. He, but I have to say, you know what? Anything we're doing is worth doing well, and he does it probably better than anybody else who's currently broadcasting. Mm-hmm. So uh, good for you, Keith Oberman. And elect, are you
11: intending to keep this a secret until the next election and your party's next nominee? Second Republican. Senator, as you and your Republicans shed your phony crocodile opportunistic tears tomorrow on 9 11 TM in front of the utterly disingenuous banner, Country First. The fact is, you have shown that it is John McCain first and the country last. The fact is, sir, by holding out on your secret plan to catch bin Laden, by searing those images into our collective wounded American psyche at your nomination last week, terrorists are not what you, John McCain, fight. Terrorists are what you, John McCain, use. Good night and good luck.
2: Well, that's just communism, Tim. That's what I say. Clearly, someone needs to be investigated. You can see the rest on RileyLive.com. It goes on for about eight
1: minutes. Then you get the feeling uh, that when Keith Oberman is speaking, uh, like in reality, he's sort of at the desk at MSNBC looking into a camera. In his head, it's about 1957, and he's in front of Congress, and he's doing that thing of, like, there's like a the water glass and the water pitcher, and he's leaning into the microphone, he's thumping on the, let me tell you something, Congressman, shame on you, Congressman. So, all right. Uh, Keith uh, Oberman Very obviously, believes himself to have been born too late, and I think by sheer force of will, he's in fact trying to make it nineteen fifty-seven again. So uh, he is
2: seizing the moment before it's
1: too late. No, you know what? You got to do what you got to do. I uh, I have all the all the respect in the world for guys who can sort of write and deliver uh, that exceptionally. He does a great job at it.
2: So Joe uh, Joe Biden was in Nashua yesterday, making a speech in which he said, "That's right, my hometown." Joe Biden in Nashua said Hillary Clinton. May have been a better choice for a vice presidential candidate. She is qualified to be president of the United States of America. She's easily qualified to be vice president of the United States of America. And quite frankly, it might have been a better pick than me. Wow. Mm-hmm. And Drudge says it's all over for Obama. Well, I, yeah, I was talking to Lisa about that, and I, you know, Matt uh, Drudge's America.
1: Well, I, hey, that'll be the title. You ought to write a book called Matt Drudge's America.
2: Well, I'll start tonight. Then.
1: There's that book. That's nice of you to say. There was that book. Uh, even as you're flushing it, even even now into the into the uh, the drain and in the, in the bottom of your mind. <clears throat> uh, well, there's that book, John Wayne's America, came out a few years ago. I was talking about sort of John Wayne as microcosm for a certain kind of American outlook or, or value or whatever. Um, but I was talking to least about this. This, this. really, I don't know if you if you're into reading a political book right now, It might be too much for you. But I can't t- I can't praise this book enough. Uh, it's called The Way to Win by Mark Halperin, who's the news director or the political director for ABC News. She's an exceptional book, and he—it's all about how, in the last 15 years, they are since '92, since the end of the Cold War, that politics have become. He doesn't just point out that everything has become polarized; he sort of analyzes how everything became polarized, and he goes again and again and again to the example of Matt Drudge and the Drudge Report. As you know, because it has such a huge impact certainly on Capitol Hill and on politics and it's well more
2: certainly more than the uh
1: you know the big three news networks right now absolutely and matt drudge i 'm not going to say that he necessarily controls what people think, but he certainly does set the tone, and I think Matt drudge does. He doesn't. He,
2: he frames America's thoughts that's... for the day. Okay, that's that's what it is. So right. You have, you as you always do. And he's not on TV. He's not on radio. He is online. As you always
1: do. You have summed it up perfectly. Much better than I could. No, no, that's why I'm here. He does frame, and I do believe he does distill the day's conventional wisdom. In other words, you wake up today and you go, "What are people saying today?" You know that so-called the pulse of America. Mm. Madrudge, I think, frames and to some degree shapes the day's conventional wisdom. And the conventional wisdom, uh, you know, all through the primaries was Hillary is hosed. And, you know, to what degree he contributed to that. I don't know. Maybe can't be measured. But right now, the conventional wisdom, in Matt Drudger's America anyway, is that Obama and Biden have lost the momentum, that they are on the downside of a slippery slope right now, that the momentum is all with Palin, and I I agree to that uh, to some extent. In that, and I was just saying is that the, the Democrats just seem to have lost all of their fighting ability. And maybe Obama never really had that. I mean that's the thing. That but they like, haven't
5: had
2: the fight.
1: It sounds like, and that's maybe that's it. It sounds like we're already doing a postmortem. But uh, John McCain didn't have any fight. If he did, nobody was paying any attention. Well, John McCain, that's the thing. they have already beaten John McCain. Right. I mean John McCain. John McCain is beaten just by dint of the fact that he is a, a seemingly sort of old, exhausted maybe uh, sometimes seems a little cranky, maybe sometimes not altogether their president that even his own party didn't really like john McCain John McCain was never a contender as they to paraphrase the movie he was never a contender at all, not not in this election anyway. It is all about Sarah Palin. The energy is with Sarah Palin. The support is with Sarah Palin. She is the reason for all the momentum. And the Democrats have also told them, well, we're we're not you we're going to play nice because we're above that. And you know what? Being above that gets
0: you bumpkes.
2: It makes you lose. Really?
1: The meek inherit. You know what? The meek meek inherit. The meek inherit the short end of the stick. That's what the meek inherit. So Obama will have no one but his but himself to blame if they lose because they're just doing nothing. They're just sitting there and they're just getting kicked in the groin over and over again. Uh, the th- th- buy some backwoods chick from Alaska, and I mean they're really going to have uh, they will be hoisted by their own petard on this front if they don't decide to uh, if they don't decide to address this. So you know whatever. And but you're right though that he never really Obama has gotten by I think on sort of rhetorical flourishes and this kind of golden glow about him. But Obama has gotten by by dint of the fact that he's very he's very able to um to channel and convey positivity. Mm-hmm. But positivity was what was needed during the primaries. Positivity is not what's needed now. And to, to just to go back to something I said the other day, I get that if he loses the recriminations about him not picking Hillary Clinton, he will never hear the end of those. I mean he will have to go live on the moon to not hear about how he screwed himself by not picking Hillary Clinton. Because if you picked Hillary Clinton, it'd be over. If you picked Hillary Clinton, the Republicans would have gone home. So, you know, whatever.
2: Sir, so he was on Letterman last night.
1: Have you ever actually put lipstick on a pig?
11: You know, <laughs> whoops. The, uh, that, the answer would be no. <laughs> but I think it, it might be fun to try. You know, it's a common expression in uh, at least Illinois. I don't know about New York City. Uh-huh. I don't know where you put lipstick on here. <laughs> Keep in mind that technically, had I meant it this way, she would be the lipstick.
2: You (laughs) see?
5: Well, you're (laughs) right.
2: So, uh, Sarah Palin said government officials are spending billions of dollars on importing resources.
5: We
12: need American energy resources brought to you by American Ingenuity, produced by American workers, and we have it right here in Alaska.
5: Wow.
1: I mean, I cannot imagine listening to that voice for she four or like eight years. She a Charlie
2: Brown cartoon character.
12: I'm a hockey mom from Alaska.
1: I cannot. Is, the prospect of having that voice drilled into the side of my head for the better part of a decade is enough to reduce me
2: to tears. Alaska really, will lead the world.
12: And you know what they're really excited about knowing more about? And that's Alaska's oil and gas. And everywhere we go, they're chanting, drill, baby,
5: drill. And I saw the signs over there.
2: Well, this is convenient. Uh, a Swedish broadcaster has released a previously unseen film clip showing the release of John McCain from the uh, the Hanoi Hilton in 1973. Really? Oh, it's never you, been seen before. When you,
1: because they just they got... They
2: found the video in the network's archive.
1: Because Dustin Hoffman just got done filming it, uh, you know, with uh, with Anne Heche standing by.
2: Apparently, they were looking for something about uh, Vietnam, and they came across it. It is a 39-second clip. Well, that's lucky. Mm-hmm. It shows him standing in a lineup when his name is called. He walks up to salute and shakes hands with U.S. military officials. Then it shows a U.S. Air Force jet taxiing on a runway. It was filmed March 14, 1973. Uh-huh. Really? Is that what the paper...
3: happened to pop up on YouTube today? Is, is
2: that what the news story says, Tim? It's from Stockholm, Sweden.
1: Of course. Whatever.
2: Well, you probably forgot all about this fellow, and I only have one sound clip from him. But uh, Donald Rumsfeld did speak at the Pentagon today.
4: September 11th was among the darkest days for Americans. But it was also a day that America can be said to have rediscovered
2: its special grace.
0: Okay, that's enough.
1: You know, I'm just so... let go back where you were.
2: Just <laughs> wherever you, that might have been. You haven't caused any harm where you've been the past few months.
1: I mean, here's the, here's the only thing with Rumsfeld. If he's going to be boring, I want him to go away. If we're going to have to continue listening to Rumsfeld again, I want to put him back up talking to the press and threatening to go down and knock people's teeth out. That was the only... Remember, Tim, remember when you and I used to sit around and watch Donald Rumsfeld? Tim and I used to... That was the highlight of our morning. Yeah. Tim and I, when we were at Fisher Broadcasting at KOTK, Tim and I used to just sit around in the morning and in the afternoon, and we would literally put our feet up on the desk, and we would watch Donald Rumsfeld talk to the press... Because I wanted to be there the day that he decided to snap, and he went down and pulled out somebody's spine in, like, a Mortal Kombat finishing move. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did... There was that uh, photo that went around. Not a photo. It was like a lolcat, you know, one of those internet... It's like a picture with a caption. One of those things that went around for a while, and it was Donald Rumsfeld standing at the front talking to the press corps, and the caption, and he was pointing at some poor sap in the crowd, and the caption was, I will beat your ass with a shovel. And it just seemed so natural. It seemed like a thing you could very easily picture him saying. Um... All right. Let's see. Let me read this. I hate to dwell on sort of on these things, but the, it is what's on the mind of Americans today. This is about uh, Barack Obama. This guy says Barack Obama is like Muhammad Ali. He is getting hit right now, but he's on the ropes, letting the McCain campaign. This is a reference to the Ali Foreman fight. He is staying on the ropes, letting the McCain campaign throw as many punches as possible. First of all, this is a bad idea, sir. Uh, not your analogy. I'm just saying it's a bad idea to let them, you know, to do that if you have an interest in winning. He says. Listen to this. He says, the Republicans will falter a step or two, then Obama will destroy her. This is such naive, wishful thinking. I know, sir, that by saying this in an email, you're trying to make it so. He says, Obama is a smart person. He knew this would happen. Who wants to hear me to analyze this, or should we move on? Let's move on. Let's move on. All right, here's Tim Riley.
2: Because I have former Rhode Island Senator Lincoln Chafee standing by some harsh comments he made about Sarah Palin. He is a former Republican turned independent, calling Palin a cocky wacko. <laughs> <laughs> pretty...
0: And books? You don't think that's wacky? Uh, mocking Senator Obama for adhering to the law?
13: You read somebody their rights? Mocking him for that? What are you above the law? That's wacky to me.
2: Uh, Chaffey says usually he speaks uh, more diplomatically. But just, I,
13: I feel so strongly about this '08 election, and the, it's not. You could say, well, maybe she's. Uh, an arrogant extremist. Same, A little more syllables, but uh, same meaning. Jesus. Oh, let me, I, I, I know I said we were just going to move
1: on, but I have to make this one. First of all, you're listening to KCMD Portland, the CBS radio station, the Tiffany Network, ladies and gentlemen.
2: Who is that that we just heard? Lincoln Chaffee. And he's, he's a is, former senator from Rhode Island. Okay. I'm just going
1: to make the point that from a just, the, 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 purely, from the point of view of political gamesmanship... That guy is why Democrats always lose. Could he possibly have sounded like more of a nebbish? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing is, Republicans, here's the thing, you know what Republicans do exceptionally well, is they deliver their points forcefully. Republicans boil everything down to like three or four really uh, horrible, slanderous talking points, and then they just go out and they scream it into every microphone, they get in front of cameras, they yell, they jab their fingers really angrily, they send you a lot of emails that have like 50-point type, and it's all like in red and black, and it jumps off the page. They bellow, they rant, uh, they, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they yell in a sort of stentorian delivery, uh, they scream, they, uh, and then this Democrat, or whoever he is, you can, just, you can hear in his voice the reason why Democrats lose, which is even what he's saying on paper looks like sort of a body blow, but when he talks, it's just sort of, um, it's like this, and, um, and, you know, I think she's a, uh, she's a little nutty,
0: and, uh, kind of a, uh, you
1: know, it's like he'd rather be sitting somewhere doing the, uh, doing the Sunday New York Times crossword puzzle and brewing chamomile tea, and that is why people don't vote for Democrats. So, you know, chuka, the joke on that. Here's well, Riley.
2: tonight is the French fry feeding frenzy in Greater Grand Forks. This annual event recognizes the potato industry of North Dakota. Organizers hope to set a new record for the largest single serving of fries. This year's goal is to gobble down 4,700 pounds of French fries. We make them
4: just a little bit drier with our French fry dryer in the process, just so they fry up just a little bit quicker, make sure they can fry up in a, in a little shorter time than what a restaurant would do.
2: Ain't that America. Grand Forks, North Dakota. How many fries? 47,000.
1: 47,000. Is, 40, is 47,000 individual French fries? I believe so. That's pretty great. I do love French fries. Somebody says I've gotten several emails now about Sarah and I saying that we uh, that we don't care about food or that we wish we could get rid of food or whatever. Uh, and people are saying I that they got
3: taunting emails. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, this one says I refute your claims that you wish you didn't have to eat. Sarah, what about mac and cheese? What about any of your thousand life-threateningly fatty, chemically engineered snack foods? Uh, It's not that there aren't foods I like. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's certainly foods I enjoy. I'm known to, again.
5: I'm
3: I'm not saying I don't like food, but sometimes you just want to get it over with.
1: That's what I'm saying. It's like, I'm not saying that I don't like food. I mean, in no way am I saying that. There's certainly foods that I enjoy. There are foods that I strongly prefer. But by the same token, it's like I don't, uh, I can go, but I can go without those foods as well. And if I didn't, like if you told me, look, you're not going to be able to have any spray cheese this month. Well, that's just fine. I mean, I can sort of, I can be indifferent to it.
3: I don't think I could be indifferent if someone denied me macaroni and cheese for a month.
1: Well, perhaps. Um, Let's see. Here's it. Listen to this. This email says Rick, Sarah Palin, last night at her welcome home speech, licked her baby. I'm going to read this again. Which end? It doesn't specify, Tim. Sarah Palin, it says, last night at her welcome home speech, Sarah Palin turned to her new baby and she, all caps, licked the baby. Licked the baby. I am not kidding. Then she started her speech. This is from our good friend Kristen Bowie, so you know it's true. She licked her baby? Is that an Eskimo thing? I mean, if it is, you can just tell me. I
2: don't think she's an Eskimo.
1: No, but her isn't her uh, tool-using husband an Eskimo?
2: Oh, that's true, too. Mm, well, part Eskimo. He's a snowmobilist, isn't he? <laughs> Snow machinist, Tim.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. All right, hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
2: Hey, it's Penelope guys. One big
1: country of freaks. Uh, not you. Uh, how can I help you?
9: Well, I have a question regarding the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Okay. So what happened to the uh, Brady Bunch kids' other parents? I'm sorry? What happened to the boys' mother? Uh, And what happened to the girls' father? uh,
1: Mr. Brady is a widower. Mrs. Brady is a divorcee.
9: Okay. So how come there was never any angst, acting up, acting out, suicidal attempts? drug overdoses, teen pregnancies, et cetera, et cetera, that statistically go in line with kids from broken homes.
1: This is a rather dark phone call. What would prompt you to make such a hideous observation?
9: <laughs> I don't know, but it's been chewing at my
12: brain for Days,
9: Rick.
2: Has it really?
12: Critics it absolutely critics has.
9: have Nobody
0: criticized has it. the show for that. All yeah, of I, 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 even
2: even in its early infancy, making fun of divorce. I think uh, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Th- that was probably the first sitcom dealing with divorce. It was the first sitcom to show, I
1: believe, a blended family That's in that way. It I was the to. first sitcom to show a live action couple because the Flintstones, I think. Now they had separate beds. It was the first uh, show to show a married couple in bed together. Uh, it did, I believe, handle divorce and, uh, and, being, and Mr. Brady, I think they say in the pilot episode that he is, in fact, a widower. Uh, it was, as Tim points out, kind of excoriated by critics for being relentlessly happy, but what are you going to do? It's a 1970s sitcom. Uh, two things, though. One, the Brady house, which is a real house, is still there, looks exactly the same. couple who own that house, they know exactly where their tourism bread is buttered, so you can go by and look at the house. It's just like that. Also, to answer your question seriously, first of all, A... It's other people might view it as pathetic or weird that you have these thoughts, but this show is exactly the forum. You are among people who think exactly those same kinds of thoughts.
12: Oh, thank
1: you. Well, also, I feel better. No, also this, in the early 90s, I believe, Tim, do you remember a short-lived program called The Brady's? Yes. There was this program called The Brady's, ran for less than one season, and it was, I kid you not, an attempt to make a sort of 30-something drama about The Brady Kids. Uh, and it was terrible. They'd be like, you know, at the end of the, you know, at the beginning of an episode, like Jan would be an alcoholic, but by the end of the episode, she'd be 12-stepping and clean. But there was a short-lived program called the Brady's in which they did try to inject all of these dark themes into the Brady family, which obviously didn't work because that's just like a, you know what it is? That's like a mayonnaise soda. That's bacon and ice cream. That doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. So there well, you go.
9: Hey, thank you. I don't feel cured, but I don't feel as alone anymore either. So thanks, it's, uh
1: It's what we do. I appreciate it. Right, Bye. By the way, oh, apparently Lincoln Chafee or whatever his name is, Chafee—that's an unfortunate name. Mm-hmm. How's sure Lincoln is. Chafee? Uh, I guess he was or he's a Republican. Or he's a Republican. Was independent.
2: He was a Republican and became an independent.
1: All right. but but I mean, it's just, a, but it's still the same thing. It's like you get people, uh, you know, uh, you get people who are attacking Barack Obama, and then they do it with force, with vigor, with conviction. I mean, you get here when people sort of criticized the Clintons or Obama or John Kerry. They conveyed to you that at least in their sort of crazy worldview, like literally everything was at stake. I mean, we might have we might be at the end times and your vote counts because the apocalypse is nigh. But when people are sort of criticizing the Republican ticket right now, it's sort of like they're doing it while they're trying to figure out what kind of potato salad to have for lunch. It's like they couldn't possibly be less interested. So, you know, whatever, Uh, you know, win, don't win. It's up to it's up to them. Uh, Hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
10: Hi. I had a quick Brady question. Yes. Um, Now, was the Brady's the same series as when Marsha and Jan both got married and lived together?
1: Uh, I believe so, because they had the Very Brady wedding, which was the made-for-TV movie, and then I believe the Brady's TV show was spun off from A Very Brady wedding.
10: Ah.
2: All right. Tim Riley's got it.
1: All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, Here's Tim Riley.
2: So, I don't know if this is true or not. This is the commemoration of the 25th anniversary of the first commercial cell phone call.
1: The 25th anniversary? Mm-hmm. Well,
2: awesome. Could be. Well, because those technologies
1: were always around a lot earlier than you think they were. Mm-hmm. Because I think the first email or something was something like 1972. Oh, yeah. You know, the internet is from the 60s. Uh, so it, that didn't surprise me, actually. I mean, uh, so now I have to make the obligatory. This is like the pointing out that uh, you ought to know is about Dave Coulier. Uh, here's the obligatory uh, relatable thing we have to now talk about, Tim. Did you ever have one of those big Motorola phones? that
2: was like a brick. Yes. They, did you have it? Did well, you? I didn't have it. I, it was at a radio station I worked for in the suburb. Exactly. It were like 20 years behind the times. Seriously. And it was like tan, and it had that weird,
1: uh, it was, the, the antenna was like this weird, the antenna was like a like a police baton that you would be
2: beating somebody <laughs> It was with. like a World War II walkie-talkie. That's exactly what it looked like. It yes. looked
1: like those guys at the beginning of Hogan's Heroes who were up in the guard tower with the thing to their ear. Yes, you're right. Uh, and I actually still have, and by the way, it's the same one that Michael Douglas uses in uh, Wall Street when he's on the beach talking to Bud Fox. Uh, about the, you know, a girl like Darian or whatever, that whole conversation. I still have mine at home somewhere. In like a milk carton at home or a milk crate, I have, I think, five or six cell phones. It really is like, it's like counting the rings in a tree or looking at sedimentary rock layers. If you like, have this milk crate at home where for some reason I just, I guess because I want to throw them away because I foolishly thought there would be some resale value. to No, no, no. Uh, no I got to keep, it's like Chris Rock's, you know, dad, now that's $3 worth of cell phone. You'd throw that away. So I have the old Motorola brick somewhere at home. I have like a Nokia that's about the size of a cordless phone. And then I have like three more that got progressively smaller, but not exponentially smaller. In, in other words, they were just slightly smaller every time. And then I quit using a cell phone. And by the time I came back to the world of cell phone, they'd become like a Star Trek communicator. So, uh, And also, let me just say this. Speaking of the history of the cell phone. So first of all, I remember, did you remember that, remember that phone they made called the StarTac? No. Oh, dude, the StarTac was badass. They made the StarTac in about 1990, 1995, 1996. My GM at the time, who was a creepy bastard, my GM had one, because he was kind of a nerd, a lot of money, liked to show things off, liked to demonstrate how rich he was. The StarTac, a, obviously the name very similar to Star Trek, and I think it was just S T A R T A C. Also, it looked just like a communicator on Star Trek. That was the selling point. You would flip it open, and it looked just like a Star Trek communicator. You know, whatever. You to beam down or whatever. Uh, and it was called the Star Trek. And it was and it was like $9 billion. But it was just for nerds who had disposable income and wanted to have something that looks like a Star Trek communicator. And it was really, really cool. And I don't know why they're not making And maybe they are. Why aren't they just making a cell phone now that is a flat-out replica of the Star Trek communicator? It seems like Paramount would be making some money. That would be great. That. All right. It's clearly a thing only I care about. Here's Tim Riley.
2: A California college graduate. He is auctioning off her virginity to be able to pay off grad school.
1: I swear to God, I thought you were going to say auctioning off her vagina.
2: Which I guess she sort of is, though. It's true. Pretty much. All right. This uh, 21-year-old goes by the name Natalie Dillon, and she's going through a Nevada brothel called the Bunny Ranch.
1: So Miss Dillon is going to be selling her virginity. Oh,
2: my God. I'm (laughs) just saying. Owner Dennis Hoff says Natalie came to him after eBay refused to auction off her uh, virginity. The world needs to know that Natalie is a
11: very smart girl, that all she wants to do is get her master's degree to be a psychologist. She's selling her virginity to accomplish that.
1: This guy sounds uh, like the sort of person who would take that virginity, first of all. Secondly, she's how old? Is there what, a picture? 21.
2: Do I, 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 the... I don't have a picture of her here. I'm to
5: look
1: right now. Uh, the, so Natalie she's, Dillon. She's auctioning it off now. Is there an opening bid?
2: Uh, let's see here. Uh, Natalie has taken a lie detector test and is willing to take a medical test to prove she is a virgin. She will also have the final say in who wins.
1: Wait, hold on. So, Ms. Dillon is so going
2: to be... It's now up to a quarter of a million dollars.
1: So, Ms. Dillon will be auctioning off her virginity.
2: She's from San Diego and uh, a graduate of Sacramento State. All right. She uh, plans to begin studying for her master's in January.
1: I have to say it comes as a great surprise to me that Ms. Dillon is still a virgin. Mm-hmm. I would be, I'm astounded at that fact.
2: Of course, this type of auction is not for everyone. First of all, most people don't have it. They've given it away a long time ago. She's smart enough to sell it. This is empowering
11: her to continue her education and be who she wants to be. All
2: right. She's not just giving
1: it away. I'm looking at her photo right now, and she, a quarter of a million?
5: Yeah. She's pretty cute.
1: Uh, not, she's not quarter of a million cute. I don't care how much money you have. She is not... Oh,
3: are we looking at the same picture? You're looking at this one? I mean, yeah, polka dot dress.
1: And you know yeah. I love polka dots. No, first of all... She's somewhat attractive. I, mean, I suppose.
3: She's, there's nothing really special about her.
1: She I is, looking. I guess...
3: She's, she's a, attractive.
1: She is doable, I suppose. I mean, there's nothing wrong with her. She's, I guess she's cute and all. but I'm sorry, I just asked this, but she's what? She's 22? 21.
2: 21. That's she's what she claims. Frigid. She's... Yeah. Y-
3: I mean, it seems like, honestly, you'd be paying $250,000 to have sex with someone who doesn't know what they're doing. And Maybe a... she'll,
2: she'll be more relaxed by the time this <laughs> is
3: over. She does look kind of like a blow-up doll.
1: And she's got a pointy chin. Um, And she does that thing of, uh, like, weirdly shaping her eyebrows. Um, I just, no, I don't see it. I mean, here's the thing. First of all, I call complete shenanigans on the $250,000 bid. There's no way. Uh, by the way, if you just go to Google Images and put in Natalie Dillon with a Y, you'll see her picture. She's going to read people
2: name. are always bidding on junk.
1: Yes, they are, Tim. Um, and I guess in this case they're literally bidding on junk. Uh, but I think Sarah has a good point, which is that first of all, how good is she going to be? She's—I mean, no offense, I'm sure she's a nice girl, but I mean, uh, uh, that's just—that's th- th- no. I and mean,
3: so she does kind of look like somebody who's never been touched before. She
1: really does. And I mean,
3: she'd probably just be cold and. I
1: think the uh, I think the two hundred and fifty thousand thing is a fabricated. I'm going to say my uh, constitutionally protected editorial opinion. That mm-hmm. sounds like a thing that's made up. Also. Even if it's true, that some guy is going to pay 250 grand to get it on with this moderately attractive girl. I, I mean, you know, to each his own. But it seems like that's a guy who only has a weird, creepy fetish for deflowering a virgin. Mm-hmm. And really, I got to imagine for 250 grand, you could probably get yourself ten virgins. I mean, maybe more, depending on what the exchange rate is in the country of residence. So. This is a dumb story, and I don't think it's a real bid, and I, I'm, I'm, you mark my words right now. She's going to back out, and it won't actually happen, and it's because she's an attention whore who wants to be in the news. So okay. I'm, I'm making that prediction right now, that this will never happen. Uh, the said uh, uh, the humping will not take place for this or any reasonable amount of money, because she just wants to get a reality show. Like uh, she wants to be a tequila, tequila type, and she knows that this is a way to get people to talk about her, as we are now doing. Also, it really must be pointed out, for two hundred and fifty grand in in Nevada, uh, really you can have hours and hours and hours of relations with I would say ten or fifteen porn stars, because it's a well known thing. You know, porn stars they they do the stripping circuit, and the porn stars, a lot of porn stars anyway, they go and they they work as as escorts, and in Nevada they don't even call it escorting. In Nevada they just work as flat out hookers. So a lot of high profile porn stars. Go and for like you know five grand, you can spend an hour with some hot porn star in a in a Nevada brothel. So that so for two hundred, I don't know how many times with two hundred fifty thousand divided by five, that, what the twenty five or ninety or something, I whatever, a lot. Calculated. So you could, I mean, you could go and rent yourself a whole bunch of uh, porn star hookers for that much money. Uh, yeah, I call shenanigans on this. This seems like a fake story. Uh, let's take who who would who would be calling? Is, Lisa, is it Lisa call calling back, back just, just because? Well, I'm glad you were there to hear the horror talk. Hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. What's up?
10: Oh, I'm straight out of the bathroom reader. I got—I read a story, a uh, gal in Florida, I think her name was Mary Colworth, sold her virginity on eBay for $10 million.
1: Now, but it was sold, but did it actually happen? In other words, was this uh, consummated, as they say?
4: Yes, it was. This is I out of... man from Texas.
1: Is this out of Uncle John's bathroom reader? It is. You know, here's the thing about something being out of that. Uh, that is not unlike something coming out of the old. You know, they used to have that magazine, the Ripley's Believe It or Not magazine, where everything was just sort of uh, pulled out of the orifice of one Mr. Ripley. So, I'm well, just... I I choose to believe it. I uh, well, see, but that see, they're good for you though, because that's the thing we do. Whenever there's some story that seems patently or at least somewhat unbelievable, if it's prurient enough, sleazy enough, if it's compelling enough, we choose to believe it with absolute conviction, despite any and all evidence to the contrary. So, in that sense, sir. You are truly one of our people. Amen. Thank you. you. All right, there you go. Uh, Is this Lisa Desjardins joining? Is this Lisa Desjardins joining us again? Yes. Thank you. I'm like a quart low on caffeine. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, again, CNN Radio Correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello.
7: Hello. Long time, no talk. Long that. time, no talk, guys.
1: Hey, what brings you back to the phone?
7: Yeah, my my assignment file. And, and also, I missed you.
1: Well, thank you so much. I, I do appreciate that. Um,
7: In the last hour and a half, or however long it's been about that, um, I can tell you this story that I'm working on is dangerously close to being killed now. It's out of control. I'll being, give you guys a down tomorrow.
1: It's, it's close to being spiked in the it's journalistic parlance.
7: Spi- you know, I don't even
1: use that. Is that a word I should use? That's what they said. Uh, that is uh, how they described Michael Isikoff's story uh, ah. for Newsweek. Michael Isakoff in 1990, whenever this would have been, 7, 6, 8, 12, something like that, uh, Michael Isakoff wrote a story for Newsweek about President Bill Clinton having relations with a White House intern. Aha. Uh-huh. N- he gave, this is totally true, He g- uh, CNN uh, legal correspondent hey. Jeffrey Toobin wrote a book all about this. He uh, submitted Toobin.
7: the story. To- Toobin is just ridiculous.
1: I love that guy. Yeah,
7: he, he's ridiculous.
1: Uh, Isakoff submitted the story to Newsweek. Newsweek spiked the story. They wouldn't run it. He tipped off Drudge that the story had been killed. Drudge reported uh, as Drudge always does, reporting on the media itself, reported, hey, guess what? Newsweek just killed a story that says Bill Clinton is getting in on with some girl at the White House. And uh, and the rest is sort of uh, cringe-inducing history. Wow. So there That's... you go.
7: You know, boy, I I don't think my story rises to that level.
1: Well, but see, now I understand you you can't say anything about it, but uh, yeah, so yes. I am. And and it's, I,
7: and I, not, it's really not worth
1: all of this. It's it's just a little story. And I would of course never obviously ask you to, to talk about that, but I guess I guess I am curious to know. Uh, how do I put this? If you can tell me this, and maybe you can't. Um,
5: <laughs> you can it, count
7: to ten. What, right.
1: Go ahead. What sorts of things, because you said that you're really having to have legal go over this with a fine-tooth comb. Yeah. What, um, what well, sorts of things require that kind of vetting from legal? Maybe not, you know, just in general.
7: Um, okay, in general. And this is, this is uh, if, if I was just asked this question, let's say, two weeks ago. Yes, and, and
1: somebody saying, said, so uh, how do you know when a story really has to be vetted by legal at CNN?
7: Often when anonymous sources are involved, you often have to vet through legal when uh, you are making a contention that uh, is not, you you don't have it completely, you don't have it nailed down uh, on all sides. You've got maybe two people saying something, Uh, maybe you've got someone giving you only their first name, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Also, legal would be concerned whenever you're dealing with um, anything, uh, anything that, insinuates or or out-and-out out, uh, charges that a company is involved or any organization is involved in illegal activity. All right. So when you're doing something like that, then, then legal would be involved.
1: And so I'm sure that the story you're working on in no way bears uh, has any <laughs> a relation to or a connection with the stories coming out about uh, marijuana, cocaine, uh, sex, and oil. Any... You
7: know, if only it did. Oh, it does. Only it, it did. Ah,
1: oh, well, okay. That would be
7: I've got to, I mean, I've been, I've been working on this other story. I've missed all the great sex, oil, marijuana, uh, cocaine stuff.
1: You realize yeah. that that phrase is now going to be excerpted by an enterprising member of the audience and used out of context. <laughs>
7: not on one on the uh the highlight commercial
1: hey that's okay we just had a story about a about a uh, uh sarah dylan and i were just here as tim read a story about a girl named Ms. Dillon who is auctioning off her virginity uh I, you know that for was that girl,
3: that's that girl's name really
7: miss
1: Dillon. no so.
3: natalie Dillon. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie.
1: but i'm saying you know you can do wonders with pro tools these days so you know
7: i don't under- Is that that legal? Is it legal for her to do that? Uh, She's
1: going to be doing it in Nevada. It's going to be uh, 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 well. First of all, you should say that. You should know that I call shenanigans on the whole thing. I think that I think she's just trying to to, trying to roll it into some sort of attention or fame or a an online reality series or just some sort of. She's trying to get something out of it, and I think it's a stunt because it just it just screams not really going to happen. I'm I'm laying like nine out of ten right now that it just never transpires for any amount of money at all. Uh, yeah, I instinctively disbelieve the story. Let's put it that way.
7: You think this is all about little publicity for uh, Natalie? Totally.
1: You know what? I have to tell you, and and, and this goes, and I, I know I pr- I swore that I would never talk about this again, but this again goes to this great Mark Halpern book, where he, he talks about how every, it's not even now every generation, it is every six months, people and in a certain a certain section of the American public become more and more and more adept at how to game the system, uh, at how to manipulate the media, how to get things into the press, how to uh, you know, leverage a certain kind of viral marketing or a certain kind of viral dissemination of information. I mean, the growth curve is just exponential on this, and, and, and largely because there are more and more avenues for it. And, of course, media saturation – now, see, now I'm just going to monologue about a whole unrelated thing – it, it i will use here's the example i'll give you i'm going to use the example okay. of emoticons. ooh all okay. right realize this yes. that we have had i mean look we've had movable type since gutenberg we've had <laughs> th- we've had typewriters for probably i don't know what oh, the
7: chinese do, do it on a huge scale yeah i mean when
1: did, when did we have mar- mass market commercially available typewriter 150 years ago maybe I would guess. It's got to be over a century we've had typewriters. I would guess, So, in other words, we've been using a kind of keyboard, basically like the one I use now, to type for, I would say, the better part of 150 years. And yet, it was not until the advent of the Internet and electronic communication that we ever had emoticons. Growing up, I can count on zero fingers the number of people who sent me a a, a typed-out letter, and I got a lot of them back then. In which somebody made a smiley face out of the colon and the uh, the, the closed parenthetical. It never happened. I mean, and that, that that is correct. So why yeah. is that? Why did we never use emoticons all through the hundred years we had typewriters? Would you like to know the answer?
9: Tell
7: me. You, do you do you have the answer, or I, does Mark Halpern have the answer? I have what What's
1: I I have what I believe to be the answer, and it's uh, it, it's what uh it's what they would call the hundredth monkey syndrome, which is the sort of uh the critical the critical mass of information in, you know, the the information reaching a critical mass of the populace to where it then immediately becomes everywhere, basically a viral
7: transmission of an idea. I think that the deal with typewriters is they were basically used for formal communication only. Uh. That's why you wouldn't use something as as offhand as as sort of, you know, jaunty as an emoticon.
1: It is possible, but I would also say this. I would say that the emoticon, my belief is that the emoticon is like any number of Internet memes. Uh, In other words, things like LOL, OMG, slang terms, Internet-only catchphrases, phrases that really only seem to exist on the Internet and get used Mm -hmm. on the Internet.
5: Mm -hmm. And
1: it really is what used to take, what used to take, 10 years to spread from person to person, mouth to mouth, word to word, in terms of knowledge, can now spread across the entire world in you know, l- less than an hour.
9: Flash, uh, yeah.
1: And so yeah. one guy comes up with an emoticon, two people see it, four people, eight people, 16 people, 32 people, 64 people. By the end of the day, you have 5 million people who have seen it. If 10% of them use it...
7: And and a great 8th grade math problem.
1: Exactly. That's what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. Uh, I am fascinated by, for example, Urban Legends uh, and the transmission of Urban Legends. And I was... Do you realize at one point in, I think, 1978, do you realize that there was actually a full-page ad taken out in newspapers, including uh, the New York Times, by the parent company of Bubble Yum? They took out full... This is totally true. They took out full-page ads to try to uh, get the attention of parents so that parents would tell their kids Bubble Yum did not have spider eggs in it. I'm like, really? Because kids, uh, and I remember this, kids of of a certain age and in a certain era were told on the playground, hey, you know, Bubble Yum has spider eggs in it. And the rumor became so pervasive, actually one of the guys who was a vice president at the Bubble Yum company heard it from his daughter. And he he said, wait a minute, how did you hear that? And she goes, oh, everybody knows, Dad, Bubble Yum has spider eggs in it. And the company took out full-page newspaper ads to try to quash that rumor on the playgrounds.
7: I've got to check that out. I didn't know that.
1: So uh, my question is, uh, that rumor didn't start nowhere. It didn't just spring into existence, fully formed like a sentient being. Somebody had to come up with that story, and then from kid to kid, mouth to mouth, schoolyard to schoolyard, probably from one kid moving from one community to another, and then telling his classmates about it, it spread all across the country. Now, however long it took, it would take one thousandth of that time now with the Internet, and I believe that's how emoticons spread.
7: But couldn't it likewise get knocked down more quickly? I mean, I think there's something good about the wholesome national kid-to-kid Rumor on the playground. I mean, now it's kind of like,
1: ah. Eh. Well, no, you're absolutely, you're absolutely true, and that plays into the next part of this, which is that the life cycle of those things is now like a fruit fly. I mean, you have urban legends like, uh, urban legends like the razor blade and the apple thing or whatever yes. that come into existence. They take a long time to build, but then they're almost impossible to get rid of, and everybody believes them. On the internet now, things go from never having been heard to being heard to being studied to being. Tentatively believed to being absolutely believed to being unbelievably re- re- refuted to being absolutely uh, disregarded within Please the space not. of a week.
7: Yes. Yes.
1: So, there you go. At least. I don't know if this was interesting to anybody else, but you know what? It was interesting to me and hopefully to you.
7: I It was very interesting. Yes.
1: This is the sort of thing. I mean, this is why I'm, it's probably, I'm probably lucky that I never went to college because I can just see that yes. I never would have gotten anything done. I would have just sat around staring at a <laughs> lava lamp. <laughs> Till three in the morning with a bunch of stoned out idiots from my dorm room going, Well, wait a minute, but that means that in my fingernail there could be a whole universe.
7: You but you know, I think that is what people do in college.
1: Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. And Sarah? you
7: nail that. You nail it. All right. Well, I got to get back and try and save my story. It's all right. ridiculous. All
1: right. Well, we'll be curious. To get, here's, let me ask you this: If the story gets spiked, could you yeah. tell it? Can you, uh, in any way, don't uh, tell us what it would have been about?
7: I don't know. I'm going to have to check. I don't know.
1: All right. I'm sure you could find I a think... way to uh, get it out, <coughs> Matt Drudge.
7: <coughs> <laughs> I think I think radio is going to pull through here. Radio is definitely. We are all on one page. It is. So, some CNN folks in Atlanta that have concerns. So I think I think we might pull through. I, I
1: think, think I went to a CBS management seminar called that the other day. It's called Radio Will Pull Through. <laughs> oh, all yeah. right. Thank you, Lisa Desjardins.
3: Thanks, guys.
1: All right, there you go. Was my urban legend discussion interesting at all? Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? Urban was,
3: legends are always interesting. I
1: am fascinated by Did the spread of that urban legends. you horrible movie, Urban Legend? Oh yeah. Yes, I have. Oh, but oh, but I mean, God. it's. Here's another one. Uh, it, uh, this is obviously the sort of uh, Jan Brunvan fans know all about these, but here's another one. You know, do you realize that Procter & Gamble, uh, the last time I checked, Procter & Gamble has spent, I believe, that and I may be getting it wrong, Procter & Gamble created a, a whole wing of their customer relations department, and Procter and & Gamble spent over $200,000, but last time I checked, to refute rumors that they were uh, run by Satanists. I'm not making that up. There is, in fact, or was for the longest time, a whole wing of the Procter & Gamble Customer Relations Department who were solely responsible for talking to customers who were afraid the company was run by Satanists. WTF, an area man wants to know. So... Yeah, I remember that it's true. Yeah, it's not true that they're Satanists. No, we're not saying it, that. It is true that there was controversy related yeah. to that. No, they. Uh, in fact, for a long time there was like a bounty out. There was a reward posted by Procter and Gamble to for... catch Satan. Yeah, well, to, to if they could, if you could come up, if you could find the person that's that's created the Procter and Gamble Satan rumor, there was a big reward for that. They're like, if you can, if you can tell us who started the Satan rumor, you know, uh, we're going to sue him for libel and we're going to pay you a reward. That's how seriously they took it. How do those rumors spread? I mean, they take. They used to take years to spread, and then they would take years to sort of be refuted, sometimes never refuted. People still think there's razor blades and apples. Uh, But things on the Internet come into existence, and then they're snuffed out within, you know, 48 hours or whatever. So uh, the spread of information is just, it's fascinating to me. It really is. Uh, All right, I apologize to the folks on hold. If you're on hold, my apologies, please forgive me. Uh, We will get calls when we come back. I I I swear to zombies, Jesus, we will. We'll get the calls on the other side. Uh, Dorothy Carces-Harry for the National Enquirer. Peter Carlin for the Oregonian. More news with Tim Riley later on. Top five comic book villains who are not the Joker. Stay there. Everybody. Hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. I am a banana. It's 503-733-2970. So just to sum up, so our speculation is that Ms. Dillon isn't really going to auction off sex with her. Okay. I think she's probably just going to become a hooker, and this is just a way to get publicity. Do you agree, Tim?
2: Yeah, that seems more acceptable.
1: It's 503-733-2970. In mere moments, we talked to Dorothy Casaseri from the National Enquirer. Uh, more news from Tim Riley, we'll talk to Peter Carlin, we'll do the top five comic book villains who are not the Joker, uh, and more. Let's just uh, get through these calls very quickly. Uh, hello, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
10: Hey Rick. Uh, the theory about uh, Miss Dillon, um, I really think that uh, if she is going for her master's in psychology, this is uh, just an easy way for her to get a subject for her master's thesis.
1: Is this, are you attempting a pun
10: No, no, really. I think that, you know, this is a study on... Oh, I can see. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, like how how many, you know, males out there really have an interest in mailing some 21-year-old virgin that they don't know, and how much would they be willing to pay for it?
5: That's
1: interesting, actually. So you're saying that she's really using the Internet, and she's harnessing it for, like, they're unwitting participants in, like, a Psych 101 thesis. Exactly. Okay, I'm going to start spreading that urban legend today.
10: Excellent. Uh, Two more things real quick. Uh, Number one, uh, top five list idea... Um, top five bands that uh, came to your personal prominence because of a cover song that they did?
1: In other words, top five bands that I like, but I discovered them through a cover. You got it. Okay. What's your other thing? Son of a bitch.
5: <laughs> I, I
1: really didn't see that one coming. He got me. He really did. Either. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Is this me? Yes, it is.
13: Hello, sir. All right. I have a bacon observation. Okay. Well, earlier you had said something about uh, things that don't go together, like bacon and ice cream. Yeah. There's a place off of
4: Interstate, I won't say the name unless you want me to, um, that actually sells maple bacon
6: ice cream.
1: Now, see, there's maple bacon, or bacon maple bars at the Voodoo Donuts place, but there's a maple bacon ice cream?
6: Oh, yeah. Once you (laughs) melt through the maple ice cream,
13: you're chewing on little bits of bacon. Is it good? Oh, it is delicious.
1: Because I have to tell you, I didn't like the bacon chocolate bar. I tried a bacon chocolate bar, and I didn't care for it.
13: No, this is this. Good. This is
1: all right. Um, well, I'm sure it can't be that difficult to find. I'll, I'll track it down,
13: sir. And uh, one other thing. I have a joke if you want to hear it. There's no cuss words at all. What do we say? Sure. Sure. Go ahead. Okay. What is the difference between a corn hu- an
10: epileptic corn husker and a hooker with diarrhea? All
13: right. Thank you.
5: <laughs> Bye. I, I thought that, that was, was going to be a
2: family-friendly joke. You know, I...
1: Hi, <laughs> you're on The Rick Emerson Show.
10: Hey, real quick, I just got two quick things about this Dylan thing. Um, I don't have the website of me anymore, but the first thing was that they were saying that her sister apparently already works at the money ranch. That's why they're doing it there. Um, and the second thing is, couldn't this backfire on her, meaning that, let's say that I'm at the highest bidder, it becomes a binding contract, couldn't I say, well, you know, I'm not going to have sex with you, in fact? now that I own your virginity, you're not going to have sex all for the
1: rest of your life. You could just put her in some sort of iron chastity belt forever. I don't really, I don't know if the contract actually specifies that you, quote, own her virginity. I think that it's you are given right of first refusal on taking it, but there's probably a reasonable time period sort of put on this, uh, uh, on, on this contract if it is in fact real. That would be my guess.
5: Uh
10: okay, but she didn't
1: look that smart, so. No, no, she didn't. Uh, but I'm guessing it's some sort of an option on her virginity, but it might lapse if you don't sort of, uh, you know, if you don't get it taken care of within, you know, like 60 days or something. Oh, uh, well,
10: thanks for shooting my idea down. Well, that's, that's
1: what up. I do. Right. <laughs> Have a good day. Thank you. I just destroy things, sir. We don't build here. We only ruin. Uh, Richie, are we getting Dorothy Carcissary for the National Enquirer? Thanks so much. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir madam, as the case may be. Hello, hi. It's you. Hi,
5: hey. hi.
12: I want to tell you that my two grade school boys came home yesterday, telling me that it was going around their grade school that the world was going to blow up in a new big thing. There was a machine making and a new big bang, bang theory, and the world was going to end.
1: Wait, let's back up for a second. You're okay. You have two boys. They go to grade school. Yes. In in Beaverton.
12: Yes, I'm the Beaverton mom who calls you every once in a while.
1: Okay, then. So <laughs> when when did they bring this to you, and what was the nature of the le- the urban legend?
12: The nature was that the world was coming. To an end. To an end, yes. When? And that they were worried and that there was some machine that was going to test the Big Bang Theory, which I had read about an hour earlier, a news story on MSNBC showing that big, I don't know if you saw that here. Yes,
1: this is the, uh, it is the, the, uh, the Large Hadron Collider or whatever the hell it's called.
12: Better you say it than me, yes. yeah. And yes. so they came home and that was the gist of it that they got at their level was that the world was coming to an end.
1: Okay, well, you should let them know the world is not going to be coming to an end. What will, in fact, happen, though, is that a rift between worlds uh, will bring in large man-eating spiders.
12: Okay, that would be too exciting, so I'm not going to lie.
1: All right. Well, okay. you're a good person. Thank you.
12: I'll call you again. Thanks, Seth. All right.
1: Bye now. All right. I'm trying to do my best to warp the youth. All right. I'll use a little... Uh, uh... Aren't parents supposed to lie to kids? They are, Tim. That's all they do. That's all they do is lie and deceive. All right. So it looks like okay. So Dorothy is actually on a plane right now, which means we probably not get a chance to talk to her. Unfortunately, I don't think it was her week anyway. I was trying to rustle her up because of this Sarah Palin story. So uh, what we'll do is we'll do some news here in one moment. Then later on, we'll talk to Peter Carlin and uh, Fatboy Roberts. Just in lieu of uh, in lieu of speaking uh, to uh, to Dorothy Carson what I'll actually do here is I will simply wait. Hold on a second. Let me just. Uh... This is what I would be talking to her about, uh, were she going to join us on the program. We would then be uh, having this discussion. Repped from the pages of the National Enquirer, I read this now verbatim. The National Enquirer's exclusive ongoing investigation of GOP VP nom Sarah Barracuda. Palin goes far beyond a mere teen pregnancy crisis this week. The Inquirer's team of reporters has combed the Alaskan wilderness to discover the hidden truth about Governor Palin's family, which has become a central part of her political identity, which, by the way, is the reason that all of this sort of counts. The Inquirer has learned exclusively. Okay, keep in mind, as we often say, they are not saying might be, could have been, uh, it rumored to have been the case. The Inquirer is saying this is true. The Inquirer has learned learned exclusively that Sarah Palin's oldest son, Track, was addicted to OxyContin for nearly the past two years, snorting it, eating it, smoking it, and even injecting it. And as Track, 19, heads to Iraq as part of the U.S. Armed Forces, Sarah and her husband, Todd, were powerless to stop his wild antics, detailed in the new issue of The Inquirer, which goes on sale today. The Inquirer also has exclusive details about Track's use of other drugs, including cocaine, and his involvement in a notorious local vandalism incident. Quote, I've partied with him for years, said a source. I've seen him snort cocaine, snort and smoke OxyContin, drink booze, and smoke weed. The source also divulged that girls would do anything for Track, and he'd use his local celebrity to manipulate other guys to, quote, get them to steal things he wanted. He finally did what a lot of other troubled kids here do, the source said. You join the military. And as Governor Palin has billed the state of Alaska for various expenses related to her children, as reported by the Washington Post, the Inquirer's investigation reveals she was so incensed by 17-year-old Bristol's pale, uh, pregnancy that she banished her daughter from the house. Another family friend revealed that pre prego Bristol was as much of a hard party or as track was. Quote, Bristol was a huge stoner and drinker. I've seen her smoke pot and get drunk and make out with so many guys. All the guys would brag that they just made out with Bristol. When Sarah found out the teen was pregnant by high schooler Levi Johnston, she was banished from the house. Palin quickly transferred Bristol to another high school and made her move 25 miles away. There we go. That's what we would have talked to Dorothy Carceseri about today the National Enquirer. She, unfortunately, is on a plane. Right, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Get more of your phone calls here in a while. Peter Carlin, Fatboy Roberts, with the top five comic book villains who are not the Joker. This, however, is Tim Riley. And
0: now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley.
2: Well, you can bet a lot of people are going to be moseying up to the Puella Fair tonight. Uh, A spokeslady says, uh, the youngsters uh, can enjoy some fine entertainment. And then for
12: the younger crowd, on September 21st, we have two concerts with the Doodle Bop's Live.
1: (laughs) Wow, kill me. Kill me. I'm sorry, would you you, uh, play that again, Pim? Certainly.
12: And then for the younger crowd, on September 21st, we have two concerts with the Doodle Bop's
1: Live. First of all, how cute is she? I don't even know who she is. When she says, for the younger crowd, that's pretty adorable. And like, a Ed, with your back, you shouldn't be throwing anybody kind of way. And also, the doodle bops. Now, I don't have kids. Uh, I, none of us have kids. None of us want to have kids. We are kidless. So, what, what are the doodle bops, and are they the same thing as the wiggles, and I they both, frankly, know. sound like some sort of an intestinal ailment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, having a bad case of the Wiggles or a bad case of the Doodle Bops makes it sound like you need to get a shot of some kind. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we don't know what the Doodle Bops are.
0: I
5: don't know.
1: Richie, you know what the Doodle Bops are?
5: Some kids stuff on stage, I think.
1: All right, thanks for putting a finer point on it. Uh, I don't know if they're anything like the Wiggles. And and then there's some other group. Who's that other group? There's the Doodle Bops, there's the Wiggles, and then there's, oh, there's
3: Gabba, some other. Gaba got a Gaba yogaba or something? Yogaba gaba? Yeah, that one. Yogaba gaba. gaba. Mm. You're, just talking friends, and, no, you're talking in talking in gibberish.
1: Are you speaking in tongues?
3: <laughs> I guess so. Uh, what is that? I have no idea. I have. It's like a group. Little ones. And
1: then Disney, I think, has some other group. Disney has some group that sings. Uh, you know,
3: oh, I know who the Doodlebops are. They're creepy.
1: Well, that goes without saying.
3: No, they're all um like they're all one color.
1: Oh yeah, oh, yo, you, know, oh, you like know the
2: Blue Man Group. Uh,
1: yeah, sort of. But, you know, I think one of the radio stations here did a promotion with them at one they point. They are so
2: creepy. looking. Yeah,
1: kid stuff is always creepy. I mean, you look back and a lot of kids' things, even the stuff I was into. You look at now and so much kids' entertainment. I think you know, but but to be fair, I think what you know, you only view it as creepy as you get older. I think when you're a kid, you don't view that stuff as being inherently weird. Uh, but once you get to be an adult, you look back and go, oh, that's that's a little nutty. You know, like like when you're a kid, you don't care about the Santa Claus thing. But as an adult, you look at like an endless procession of like uh, you know small children sitting on Santa Claus's lap, who then says, "Have you been naughty? What would you like me to give you?" Uh, you know, and it just seems weird now that you're all grown up and whatnot. There's Tim Riley.
2: Well, a lucky cat owes one of its nine lives to a firefighter who revived it with month-to-month resuscitation. El Mikado rescued the cat from a burning apartment, telling the Standard Times of New Bedford. He saw the cat needed air. He began performing mouth-to-mouth on the animal as he carried it outside. The cat is a tiger angora. It was revived and resting comfortably. No humans were injured in the fire. Then a black cat must have used up one of its nine lives when it survived a 14-mile trip under the hood of a car in Orange County. The driver apparently heard the cat crying, pulled over, and called police. Animal control came and found the cat was alive inside the engine. The
9: unfortunate thing was
7: the animal control... Was unable to remove him. The engine was very hot. He was very scared,
9: and he had wedged himself completely um, into a little socket where the headlight is, so they couldn't get him out.
1: Yeah, I have to say, well, well, wait. So, is the cat rescued?
2: Well, it was difficult to free that cat.
9: It was really hard because he was so far wedged in there. They actually tried to take the front of the headlight off and couldn't remove him. So they did have to remove him out the back. And in the midst of burning their fingers and so forth on the engine, a little bit of soap to make him a little bit greasy and pull him out finally helped. And he was sedated at that point, so he was a little bit more
8: relaxed and didn't struggle as much. Well, so that helped a lot.
1: Here's the thing: I don't care about cats at all because there's too many of them. But you know what? You know who I do kind of like? I like black cats. Because I feel like they get sort of a bad rap, you know what I mean? Uh, black cats, they just got all of this, uh, you know. There's a uh, negative mojo on them, and people avoid them, and uh, you know, and they, they've got all this uh, the superstition of them. So I, you know, I, I sort of uh, black cats. I feel like uh, I, don't know, I feel like I have a little connection with them somehow. Also, black licorice, frankly. Here's Tim Riley.
2: Jordan Sparks is taking a few steps backward after a highly publicized remarks at the MTV Music Awards. She appeared on the and Combs to explain why she said, quote. Not everybody, guy or girl, wants to be a slut.
6: Well, who can disagree?
2: She discusses why she chose to wear a promise ring. My
3: parents talked to me about it when I was 13, kind of like the birds and the bees type talk. And they told me, you know, we, we think it would be a good idea for you to wait until you're married. And it wasn't something forced. Uh, I was just, it made sense to me.
1: I promise to be a sexual disappointment to my husband in the future. Mm-hmm.
2: How does this comment uh, conflict with being a celebrity?
3: This crazy being in Hollywood and making this kind of choice because, I mean, I, I guess they've, they've heard it all before. You know right. what I'm saying? So, you know, they're kind of just waiting to see if I mess up or something like that.
1: I promise to be so unbelievably unskilled in bed that it will take only three weeks for my husband to wonder why he married me and begin bonking the maid. How old is she? I don't know. Because yeah. I remember
3: every single girl that I knew when I was, you know, fifteen and sixteen before they actually did start slutting up was like, "I'm going to be a virgin till I'm married." Oh, dude! And uh, then, like, n- like ninety percent of them, like six months later, had already slept with somebody. That's
1: else. the thing. I mean, it is. You know what it is, uh, Sarah. Uh, and you, you were really hit on it here when you said that the girls are, I'm going to wait till marriage.
3: Everybody says that when you're younger.
1: Uh, but, see, but see, but I don't really know. Does everybody, maybe that's a girl thing. Do all girls say that? that
3: is, oh, no, and they're all high and mighty until like one of them, who's like Bristol Palin, who goes right. and gets herself knocked up after she's like professed, you know, her undying love of Jesus and how she's never going to have sex.
1: That is, I mean, and I and I do acknowledge that is, a, that is part of the, on KCMD Portland, that is part of the unfair male-female uh, dynamic. That guys don't have to really typically make that promise unless you're some... You know, uh, you know, the
3: Jonas brothers,
1: yeah, unless you're some sort of Aryan looking youth, uh, but uh, you know, guys don't have to do it, but girls have to. I think they're sort of required by peer pressure or whatever to be like, Well, I'm gonna save myself, and you know, I would like to think, you know, I would hope that we would reach an era in this country. You know, some people uh, look forward to a future where we have energy independence or a clean environment. I really do uh, look forward to a time, and as I look forward to a glorious time uh in this country and on this world when girls can just be sluts uh and just be fine with it be like you know what i'm gonna be a slut like you don't have to be don't be a slut you be a slut i don't care but it seemed uh, i i do really look forward to a time when girls can just proudly be sluts if they so choose and that everybody's kind of you know signs off on it everybody says well, by god i want uh, slut them to be a valid lifestyle choice which regrettably it is not uh, so she is how old tim doesn't say underage, whatever. But, but, you, but you're totally right when you say the girls who are wearing the CTR rings and the promise rings and the hope rings and the chastity the, 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 the rings and whatever, they are the ones who eventually give it up the fastest and to the biggest number of guys. Because girls are like slingshots. Uh, you know, the, the, the more resistance, the further you can get with them. Mm-hmm. Am I right, guys?
3: That is the most genius phrase I've yes, ever heard.
1: I stole it. Oh, so I stole it from Jonas Nightingale, but it's a great phrase. Isn't it true?
3: Oh, it's completely true. Yeah, it's
1: when he's talking to uh, Deborah Winger and he says, Janie, women are like slingshots. The greater the resistance, the further you can get with them. Here's Tim Riley.
2: Meanwhile, a Florida judge, tired of seeing inmates' underwear because of sagging britches, decided to take action this week. Circuit Judge Daniel Perry delayed court for an hour and a half as he ordered 61 inmates on his docket back to jail so that a handful of them could change into a better-fitting, if not fashionable, bottom. According to court transcript, he did not want to see people with their rear ends hanging out over their pants. He added, we're done.
1: Yeah, good to see we're focusing on the important issues.
2: All right. Then here's another reason to brush your teeth. Poor dental hygiene boosts the risk of heart attacks and strokes. Heart disease is the number one killer worldwide. It claims upward of 17 million lives a year. Smoking, obesity, and high cholesterol are among the common culprits, but the new research shows that neglected gums are being added to the list. We now recognize that bacterial infections are an independent risk of heart disease. You know, I I have to
1: go to the dentist today, so this whole thing is making me a little unnerved. Mm -hmm. uh, And, you know, and plus, here's the other thing. You notice this with teeth? It's like they they say that thing about the the um, in, in any sort of environment that the health of frogs in an environment is a good indicator of the general health of the environment. Uh, you know, in other words, of the whole life. Uh, what am I saying? The the whole ecosystem. In other words, if the frogs in, a, in an area are doing well, then the whole ecosystem is healthy. If the frogs are doing bad, the, the frogs are dying or sickly or whatever, then the whole ecosystem is sort of corrupt, which is why there's that gray scene in Magnolia where all the frogs die and fall into the sky. But they say that about teeth, too. It's like every time I pick up the newspaper, like, you know, uh, your teeth are the biggest indicator of whether you have giant weevils living inside your head. If if your gums are bad, uh, that means that your body has been infested with aliens and they're going to have to cut off your head. Uh, so every
2: time we hear a story like this, it just uh, fills me with agita, is what it does. From Valentine, Nebraska, comes to word. Apparently the busiest vandal in town is finding a new way to leave his mark. Some man has been skipping from one business to another in the darkness of night, pressing his naked behind and sometimes his front genitals against windows. Store owners, church workers, and school janitors have had to wash lotion and petroleum jelly off Aww. the window. wow. It's the weirdest case I've ever seen, says police chief Ben McBride. It's not funny. We're worried about that. <laughs> well, it is funny. Will he move up and commit a more serious crime? Valentine is a town of 2,600 people uses its name as a promotional tool, calling itself the Heart City. Sounds like he might be the promotional tool, Tim. Yes, I think so.
1: That was a double double pun, too, because I said tool, Tim. Mhm. Whatever.
2: Well, that's the end of that story. All right.
1: Uh, are, are you preparing more news?
2: I am, as we speak. All I right. never stop.
1: All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley returns at the bottom of the hour. Uh, coming up, is this... Richie, I'm looking at this bottom line. It's all locked. Is that Peter Carlin? I don't understand what's going on. Davis, Lisa, Jordan. Well, because it's not blinking, it's locked. Sarah, do you see what I see? Yeah, I see
3: what you see. All
1: right. Well, whatever. There it is. Uh, it's five hundred three, and now it's gone. For <sighs> the love of. And now it's picked up again. I'm sure I could do this go. all day. It's five oh three seven three three two nine seventy uh let's see coming up later on. Uh we will have uh, more from Tim Riley, like us at three, like us one one at five, Michael Mara show at seven and so forth. Uh and in just a mere moments we will join the be joined in the studio by uh fat boy uh Roberts from uh, Rock One oh one KUFO, What's the top five? so forth. Uh top five comic book villains who are not the joker. That's what they are. Uh now see why was I... Hold on a second. Let's see if I can... Uh, do I have a Peter Carlin sounder? Do I have a Peter Carlin sounder that I finally put in? Let me just...
4: Depends you like do a squish it, does have a, a, a reaction uh, no. in
1: No, that's not ad. it. Let's bring Peter Carlin on then with this.
12: I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. Uh,
1: with a heart full of hate and a head full of strawberry-flavored goo, it's Peter Carlin uh, now on sabbatical from the Oregonian writing his latest masterwork. Hello, sir.
13: Hey, man. How's life? It's okay, thank you. Is it really? Uh, yeah. All right.
1: What were you doing right before I called, just out of curiosity?
13: I was writing a thing about uh, – just. I was writing a thing.
1: Was it about uh, Paul McCartney?
13: Yeah. Now, are you, if I can ask
1: this, because I'm curious, because I've tried my, I've written some stuff, you know, with varying degrees of success. Do you have any superstitions when you're writing? In other words, where you won't let anybody see it till it's at a certain point, or you, uh, you know, like that James Conn thing in Misery, where it's like he makes the one copy and then he has like one cigarette and a glass of wine or something. Do you have any superstitions or rituals around your writing process?
13: Um. Not consciously. I mean, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I let people see stuff, but it's like it's got to get to a certain point where I know on in my own mind that it doesn't suck. And frequently, things will suck for a while before they begin to look okay. All right. So if that's I... when we're talking. I mean, but then there's different kinds of writing. There's then there's the journalism type stuff which you pound out and fire off like in moments. Oh no, that's a uh... that's a whole other kettle of uh, kettle of stuff.
1: Yes, it is Peter Carlin Wordsmith. It is a kettle of stuff indeed uh, this is the sort of glorious verbiage that will undoubtedly be on display in the uh in the new book you I already only...
13: told you about things sucking
1: sometimes <laughs> wow
13: uh what 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 what, what? nothing uh, you're getting all like uh like like I'm the problem
1: wow this uh you've come out of the game a little uh a little defensive today.
13: shut uh, up quick. <laughs> e- <laughs>
1: All right then. Uh, I, I don't even remember what I, why I asked you. I had some I had some the reason behind asking the question, but now it's just sort of gone. Um all right, a couple things. Let's first of all let's talk about uh the latest installment of Mad Men, which was on Sunday. Yeah. Um I'm, that show has now entered it's now entered this particular sort of nexus of emotions that some of my favorite programs have get to, which is where they are cringe-inducingly great, where you are watching the show, and I remember being this way with Freaks and Geeks, which is probably still the most keenly I have ever felt this. My wife and I watched Freaks and Geeks, and you would watch it, and it's sort of like how you watch a horror movie through, you know, your fingers or with half-closed eyes or ready to turn away. That's how I watched Freaks and Geeks, because it was such an exceptional show, but it was so awkward and rang so horribly true for me, certainly, in some ways. That it it just it was such a great show, but it just hurt to watch. It was like it was like the painful yet satisfying sensation of wiggling a loose tooth, and that's kind of what Mad Men is like. But even more so, the last few weeks, it's uh, it's it's pretty brutal. Um, I have to tell you, I I spent most of Sunday night's Mad Men cringing, gasping, and then exhaling when a scene was over.
13: Maybe you ate something bad. <sighs> Maybe I uh, that
1: sequence when they are at the party. And what's his name? Jimmy Barrett says to to, to Betty, you know, uh, hey, what do you suppose happened between the two of them? Right. And I literally, I did a full-on <gasps> gasp. Uh, and it's just, and from then on, the remaining nine minutes or whatever was just one, just one long, excruciating uh, clench up for me.
13: Yeah, except for the hilarious part where she tries to, she tries to hit him with an anti-Semitic thing where she goes, you people are so coarse and ugly. Right. And he said, what people? Comedians?
1: Right, right. <laughs> so
13: nice a nice little and, – and I couldn't tell whether he was, like, being purposefully sarcastic or whether he really didn't quite get where she was going
1: with Oh, I think he, he – I mean, my read on that character is he knew. I mean, he seems yeah. like – I mean, he's a minor character, relatively speaking, but he seems like a very faceted and layered character. Uh, I mean, he – to me, he's one of those guys that I could watch a whole episode just about his backstory somehow because he's because he is – you know, he is a, on the one hand such an archetype of characteristics yeah. that we've seen but on the other hand he does seem very nuanced.
13: Well, practically one of the great things about that show is that practically every character has an entire series in themselves right. as well. Right. Because it's like there could be a whole and I mean, and not just like uh um like uh uh like Peggy though she has a whole show in yeah. her or, you know, or um or 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 uh, uh, uh Roger Who's a fantastic I mean, they're all just such fantastic characters. But even when you get down to like some of those copywriters like uh you know, and the and the account executive guys, right, those right. young guys in their early twenties who are so, you know, I mean, you don't learn that much about them, but everything you know about their sort of their sorrows and their yearning and their appetites is just sort of like, oh, my God, really?
1: It, and, you know, an, an amazingly compelling character on that show, and really she's done a lot with a role that doesn't seem to offer a lot initially, is that Joan Holloway character. Oh, sure,
13: yeah, she's a whole show.
1: I mean, uh, and she is just, that actress and the character, they're both just amazing. Yeah. um and
13: So she's getting more odious in the second season.
1: Well, i got to tell you, there was a great moment, I think it was two weeks ago, actually, when she fired that secretary, and then the secretary is back, And she says, you know, the secretary, what on God's green earth do you. And she totally has that, like, where her hips and head swivel at the same time. Yeah. And she goes, what on earth do you think you are doing here? Right. And the new, the the secretary says, oh, you know, will, you know, Roger, Mr. Sterling said I could stay here. And she just did that great face acting where it was just a little flicker of response and emotion over her face as she realized that she was no longer the preferred piece of candy in the storefront
5: window. No
13: doubt. And Jane is 20 and Joan is like 33 or something, Right, which, you know, so her, uh, her half-life is is coming rapidly to an end.
5: It is
1: uh I mean it's just it, it really is just a a very a very interesting show and,
13: th- and that Jane I loved cuz she is not to be messed with and there was something she knew ex- obviously she knew exactly what she was doing and had this and, oh, yeah. and was not going to be pushed around and dismissed by Joan You know, uh, for no reason whatsoever, you know, for those kind of bogus reasons.
1: And that, uh, you know, again, speaking of every character is fascinating, that what's his name, the Cooper uh, guy, the guy who's not Roger Sterling, the other, the Ayn Rand guy, Burt Cooper. Uh, And he is, you know, you talk about a guy who fills a role with such uh, menace, even though he's really never doing anything menacing.
13: Yeah, no, he's just, uh, he's just an operator. You know, I mean, he's just a, you know, he is. I mean, it is, it is. The thing I love the most about that show is how much tension it can evoke, without any violence whatsoever, without having to get cop to that realm of right. life and death. Right. Right. Like virtually every other show, including some, I mean, you know, many of my favorites. But it's sort of, it, it, it's been lovely, and that's the thing about it. It's like I was watching. I can't remember. I guess. Well, I was a little sour on that first episode of The Shield. Though now I've watched another four of them, and I'm, and now I'm getting way more into this new season. But I began to think to myself, like, have I been spoiled by Mad Men? Because you know you can watch it without having someone slap you in the face with body parts and stuff, which is – the Shield does, but it kind of earns its mayhem, you know, because its characters are so well.
1: Well, You know, it's in a good segue here, but my so my wife and I are rewatching The Wire from the very beginning because she's never seen it. Mm. So we're watching The Wire and then and of course now The Shield is starting and you know, you realize how there's similar shows but different shows and I felt the same way as a lot of people about that first uh, episode of the of The Shield. It was good, but it it first of all, I I actually maybe this is just cuz I got a, I had a tiny brain, I had to sort of take a while to remember what the hell was going on because it, they've taken what used to just be a simple cops and robbers show about a kind of a quasi dirty police officer, and now they've layered in so many different sort of plot lines. And I do admire the fact that they don't stop to really explain everything. Right. They just kind of they go. And uh, I was not thrilled with the first episode of this season, but I got a bit as of uh, as of this last Tuesday. Man, I am back. I'm solidly back on board. Yeah. They really. Uh, I am. I am rolling with them full speed.
13: Yeah. It was a. Um... It was a uh, – uh, 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 the second episode kind of picked up the pace.
1: Yeah. Do you, how many episodes are in this final season of The Shield?
13: I don't know. 13, maybe? Okay. So
1: I just – because I always like to keep track of, like, how long do they have to wrap it up? Yeah. Uh, you know, because... I don't know.
13: But you know what? Don't take – I mean, I, I expect – that as you know that tends to be, but who knows if they stretched it out or yeah. did some other business. If they they may have told us, but I might have forgotten. Um,
1: all right, let's see. Uh, before uh, everybody's kind of under the gun schedule-wise today, and I know you got your uh, your, your 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 writing uh, to be doing. Mm. Uh, anything anything else bothering you? Anything else troubling you? Anything else you would like to uh, expound upon, expand upon? Anything about which you would like to speak extemporaneously?
13: <laughs> I'd like to compose a limerick. Um, Is it going to be about hockey moms? No, it's set in Nantucket. No, um, um, I was in Nantucket uh, eleven years ago, and there were people who ran around wearing T-shirts that say "I am the man from Nantucket," which really? I thought was like something you wouldn't want to wear in front of yours or anyone else's children who might ask what the significance <laughs> of that meant. Uh, at any rate, no. Uh, speaking of hockey moms, though, so I've got to say that I've been sort of astonished by. The depth to which the McCain Palin campaign has sunk in order to keep anyone from thinking about the actual issues.
1: Are you really astonished?
13: Be well, honest. you know, Come well, on. I thought that maybe McCain didn't quite have the, uh, I didn't know whether he had the, the, the intestinal fortitude or, the, or, you know, to really go that low. But, but he did it instantly. And not only that, but I believe I'm not wrong when I say that he's doing it with the assistance of literally the same guys who created that sort of whisper campaign in South Carolina in mm-hmm. 2000, uh, yeah. claiming that his adopted daughter was, in fact, his bastard child right. from a love affair he had with an African-American woman, which, of <laughs> course, to South Carolina Republicans is like anathema. Anathema.
5: Uh, well, you and, know, that,
13: and, and that rather than like slapping those guys or punching them in the face or shooting them, he hired them for his campaign, which I think is, is a remarkable testament to something. I
1: think I think really this is the analogy I made and one that maybe will resonate with, uh, you know, with you is that, uh, I put it this way that McCain is just McCain is like a great indie band that finally gets tired of driving in a crappy station wagon and never selling any records.
13: Uh, He's like the soul asylum of Republican presidential candidates.
1: <laughs> there you go. He decided to write the big crossover ballad. Uh you know, and having having written that big crossover ballad, you soon find that you are uh you are incapable of writing much else after that. So
13: The goo dolls of conservative Republicans. I coverage.
1: made that comparison the other day. Good for you. I, you. I called him. I said he was the Johnny Resnick of, of, of contemporary politics. Good for you, Peter. We are much the same, you and I. <laughs> All right.
6: Uh, I, got, I
1: got to run. Uh, we will talk to you next week around the same time, yes? Bye. All right. Thank Thank you. Bye now. All right, Peter Carlin. Uh, I
3: love him and his grumpiness.
1: So do I. Richie, can uh, is Fat Boy around? Can we, uh, can we conjure up Mr. Boy? Mr. Fat Boy? <laughs> Mr. Boy. Mr. Boy, you have a telephone call at the front desk. Uh, if we could do that, that would be... Uh, That's
3: like an episode of uh, I mean, Nano 2 and 0 when they had Babyface on. And they know if there's this call, Mr. Baby or Mr. Faith. Mr.
1: Faith. Can I tell you, here's something that I uh, that I worry about. And let's now, wait, hold on, let's just uh, bring on now. Excellent, thank you. Uh, from Rock 101, KUFO, seven of midnight Monday through Friday, and appearing live at Rockfest. Uh, tomorrow, yeah. Fat Boy from Corden. Fat Boy, hello. hello. How how you doing? I'm uh, I'm doing all right. All right, chilling. Um, let me ask you this. Yes. Yeah, we were just talking about whether you call uh, Babyface Mr. Face or whatever. You just call him Babyface. Okay, probably. but let me ask you this. <laughs> yeah. In terms of filing things alphabetically in your CD collection, where am I to put DJ Quick? DJ under Quick?
6: Under you, what? You put them under DJ. You put them you put them under D for DJ. When I worked at a Sam Goody, that's how we did it. They mm-hmm. went all went under DJ
1: and then alphabetically within that subcategory. Yes. All right then. Thank like, you. like
6: like DJ Shadow would come after DJ Quick and then but before DJ Jazzy Jeff. Jazzy Jeff would come before DJ Quick and then DJ Shadow. All right. So that's how you that's how you that.
1: See, I knew you'd be able to bring the appropriate Rob Fleming sort of uh, huh. intelligence to bear on this. I, I worked at the Sam Goody for 2 yeah. years. So What what, you, uh, what years did you work at Sam Goody?
6: Uh ninety. 7 to 99. I guess that's my way of asking, what music are you sick of from working (laughs) at a Sam Goody for two years? Uh, The Cruel Intentions soundtrack. Oh, dude. Oh, I love that. So Much for the Afterglow by Everclear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those sorts of things. Uh, Oh, Marilyn Manson's uh, Mechanical Animals. Yeah, that that would have been been like the dope show era. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That sort of stuff. It was played constantly. Oh, uh, Prodigy's Fat of the Land. That played all the time. Boy, you know what you talk about? You look back. And
1: it's just, uh, and now we're sort of deviating. We'll get to the top five here in just <laughs> nanoseconds. But you know, it's interesting when you look back and you sort of see the music genres that they kept claiming were going to be huge that we all knew wouldn't, like yeah. electronica. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, electronica found its electronica found its own level and it found its rightful place, which is to be a uh, bed music for talk show hosts. <laughs> B uh, you know, music and video games, yeah. and see music underneath the trailers of lackluster films to make them seem exciting. I mean, yeah. that's where the Crystal Method, that's where they live now.
6: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it sort of needed to blow up before it could get to that point. It needed to be overexposed before everyone got sick of it, and then people who cut together trailers professionally could, you know, dig through their crates. Oh yeah, that's right. I like that. Doom, 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 doom. Mm-hmm. that thing. I remember listening to it to the, to the Prodigy though, who they kept saying well, they're going to
1: save rock and roll. I remember listening to that and just. Like, this is crap
6: this are so bad and no one will admit it well i like the fat of the land i still think it's a good album it's just i heard it so many times but the year that it came out and i want to say it was like 97 that honestly was probably one of the harder rocking which says more about the state of rock in 97 thank you but, Barry farrell that's yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, so uh, i do remember i will tell you this and then we'll, then we'll begin the top five after this one small recollection i do remember uh, it, I was at a record store whose name even escapes me. I was living in Salt Lake, and it, it was before, uh, you know, the the intertron and all that. So you had, to, but they had like a listening station. Yeah, remember those? where you go do You remember those, Sarah? You go in, you put on big headphones, and there were six CDs you
6: could listen to in the store. Don't
3: they still have? I guess I don't really go to those kind of stores anymore. Well,
6: like me no. Millennium has some stuff now, but it's it largely it was a revolution, man. As a matter of fact, that's what got you into stores. I remember they would that that was the uh, the incentive. You can come in and open any CD in the store. Blockbuster you want. Music did that. Yeah, they, Block, I'm they, Sorry, go ahead. They had the heat gun and they had the, the plastic wrap underneath and they had like just a giant bank and that was the whole thing. You would go there and I knew friends who would just sit all day long. And... Oh, no free previews, man. I don't never ever have to buy CDs ever again. Blockbuster Music had this hook that you could listen
1: to any CD in the store. They would open it up for you, put it in the CD player and then they'd have some guy reseal
6: it later, mm-hmm. which is a real thing. And this but this was one of those like pre-packaged listening station kiosk things. Oh, and I hated having to replace those at Sam. Day. Oh, see, those suck. Oh, I mean, they God. were just a nightmare. You know what they were on the inside? Huh? A Discman, really? Yeah, there was a light box and then you pulled the light box off and it was the cheapest Discman they had in the store connected to like a little uh, a little mechanical thing that had a headphone jack you plugged into it. I remember standing in one of those kiosks and seeing Exit Planet Dust,
1: which was um, the first Chemical Brothers record. Yeah. And I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what they were. It was literally one of those things that you, you don't really do the same way anymore where you're looking at, like, that's an interesting looking cover. I wonder what that sounds like. And I remember putting it on. And um, the first track came on, which is just a track called "Leave Home." And I remember that really—I burned out on those guys pretty quickly. But that hearing that, I can still remember exactly the moment when I listened to that first Chemical Brothers record, and it really did take my brain brain apart and put it back together a little yeah. bit differently. It was—it uh, was not like nothing I'd
6: ever heard before. That's one of the classics of the uh, the electronic genre. Let's begin today's
5: five, top five. Four, three, two, one, fire.
0: is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting is the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count,
1: don't you? All right, ladies and gentlemen, joining us now in the studio for today's top five, Fat Boy Roberts from Rock 101 KUFO presents these, the top five comic book villains who are not...
6: The Joker. Yeah, that we had to level the playing field. Although I do make my uh, concession to the Joker. I think the bed that's going to be playing underneath this is my uh, my little remix of the Joker's this scene, knives and lint. Knives and lint from the uh, the Dark Knight. I went ahead and remixed that. That'll be showing up on Geek Remix Two. And so this is uh, this was sort of prompted by that whole story that came out the other day about Depp as the Riddler and Philip Seymour Hoffman as the Penguin. <laughs> yeah, so C- Seymour Hoffman's come out and said I don't know what you guys are talking about, and I think I'd make a crappy Penguin anyway. Yeah. So no one's. There, any casting you hear from Dark Knight is a lie. Yeah. He, the guy's on vacation. He might not even write the third one. And if he's smart, he won't. He won't go near it. Right. He'll pull Lucas. He'll produce it and let someone else write and direct that thing.
2: It, does, it seems like... Uh, I, I,
1: mean, I can see the Riddler, and especially with Depp, who's the finest actor of his generation. Yeah. But the Penguin's just... The Penguin... Maybe I'm wrong. This is based on my layman's knowledge. The Penguin seems like a silly villain.
6: I think they want to try and rewrite him to be just basically an arms dealer for the third that's the idea I mean and the Riddler would end up being written as a private investigator but still I mean the movie's still out in theaters right let's,
0: let's save the whole
6: what's gonna happen in the third part until this thing's on DVD like a year or two old wait till then I mean it's like people left the theater and went wow that movie was kick ass Johnny Depp should be in the next one. Just right. Savor the movie you just got.
1: Uh, you know, but th- th- that happens, I think, in large part because of the recent back-to-back sequelizing. Yeah. Matrix two and three did mm-hmm. back-to-back. Uh, the filming, I think, that the second and third Pirates of the Caribbean back-to-back. Yeah,
6: they did that. Um, I, I, Back believe. to the Future two and three. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I understand why people want. I think they're also a little bit spoiled by a serialized television, which people just don't even watch on TV anymore. They just watch on TV or you know, TiVo or Power a DVD. Yeah. They're used to watching giant epics now. Like people are worried about three-hour movies. People essentially watch like six-hour movies at home, right. watching you know The Wire, watching The Shield, those sorts of things. So Absolutely. I think I think people once they leave a you know a movie as long as The Dark Knight and as good as The Dark Knight, immediately want to power load, totally. and jump into another two and a half hour episode of what happens to be their favorite superhero TV show. So this is, in the estimation of Fatboy Roberts, the top five comic book villains who are not the Joker. All right, honorable mention, The Punisher. Alright, uh, not really a villain, not really a hero He's an anti-hero. He's sort of a, he was, he's like a serial killer mass murderer. He's kind of like Dexter, sort of. He's like Dexter, but he talks less and sets people on fire until they die. Excellent. Uh, he was introduced as a villain in Spider-Man, though, so that's why I'm putting him on here. He's also knocked around Daredevil a couple times. Um... Yeah. He he only kills criminals. That's that's what makes him a good and guy. And this is the guy
1: now. with a huge abstract white skull on his chest.
6: Yeah, he's got a giant white skull on his chest. He's got like more guns than the Matrix. Um let's see what I got. No yeah. actual superpowers. No actual superpowers. He's been put in prison on purpose so he could kill his way through all the mobsters he wanted that got put away. Um he's knocked out a polar bear with one punch. Um, in one book, he actually killed the entire Marvel universe. Really? So yeah, I mean, and that's the honorable mention. He's killed everybody in Marvel at least once. So he is—he's sort of the Mac Bolan of the uh, of the comic book world. He's kind of—he's kind of like a uh, seriously like Marv crossed with Dexter. Is sort of like what him. he's like, except with a whole lot more guns and just a really sadistic streak. So Excellent. that's the honorable mention. The Punisher. Number five is Magneto from the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Is in he X-Men. the eater of worlds? No, that that. That one's coming oh, up. okay. All right. No, Magneto, um, basically, he started a group called the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and recruited... Managed to fill the ranks. How badass you gotta be to do that? We've got a group called the U.S. Army that won World War II and they don't have Magneto's recruiting numbers.
1: Yeah, that, is that from an earlier time in comics when you didn't have to be subtle and you could actually just have a group
6: called the Army of Evil Mutants? Yes, you could, but I mean, that carried on into I think even up to the, the current X Men movies. They were still saying, you know, all the bad guys in X Men. We want you. To yeah, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. <laughs> All right. As that far has, as as far as his powers go, um, he he can control a magnetic field. So like he's ripped all the metal off of Wolverine's bones. Oh,
1: he's the he's the Ian McKellen
6: guy. Yes, he's okay. the, yeah. yeah. Gandalf played all him. Right. That's yeah. pretty, yeah. That's pretty right. badass. Okay. He can wear purple and maroon and still look like a badass in a sweet helmet. Um, right. he can create interdimensional wormholes by thinking really hard. All right. I mean, most people when they think real hard, they like they, they poot or something. I got and, and he can he can get black holes created. So Fantastic. also can survive a nuke dropping on his head. It's pretty badass. Number four, Galactus. The Eater, Eater of worlds. worlds. Yes, he All eats right. planets. I mean, he wears a purple skirt over a costume that looks like a refurbished diner booth. And he has a giant tuning fork stuck to his head. But he can eat planets. So, I don't know if it gets more villainous than that. He I mean, eats entire planets. Really? Okay, but so eating planets is sort of like being Omega
1: Supreme or whatever yes. in the Transformers universe, where once you sort of are omnipotent in that way, it mm-hmm. seems like your sort of dynamic possibilities are limited.
6: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. He doesn't really have any characterization. His characterization is basically he walks up in his giant skirt and goes, must feed, and then he eats a planet, and that's it. I mean, you have... uh, Court got in an argument with me over this, because I ran the list by him beforehand, and he wanted another X-Men villain. And I was like, dude, this guy eats planets. What is your argument there? And he goes, well, he's like a celestial being. It's like, you know, let's say there's a microbe in this coffee. And there's a bunch of little people living on that microbe, and I pick up the coffee and I eat it. Am I a bad guy? I'm like, yeah, you just ate a whole world, man. You're so, evil as far as I'm concerned. So if I was like Rick Emerson, eater of Pringles,
1: Yes, it, but, it's like, but it's like if Pringles happened to be alive. This is, no, you know what it is? That's a comic book right there. This would be like in that Futurama thing where it's all those poplars who are great, and then it turns <laughs> out that they're sentient beings. All right.
6: All right. <clears throat> Number three is uh, Ozymandias, or Ozimandias. I don't quite know how to pronounce it. Um, he's the villain in the greatest graphic novel ever written, The Watchmen. Um, he's evil basically because he's uh, super smart, and um, he creates a, uh, a scenario for utopia that involves uh, killing half of Manhattan with a telepathic space squid, and then he gets away with it. It reads much better than it sounds. Oh, really, well, I wow. take my word for it. No, yeah. when, you, when you see, it, yeah, I'm I'm one of those kind of people who I reduce comic <laughs> books to their basest elements. his mean, facial expression says it all. Yeah. No, uh, and yeah. this movie might get nominated for Oscars next year, and I just told you the climax. <laughs> and also it's that like it's like a space case. squid in Manhattan. I mean, it really yeah. does. It does work, though, yes. Um, taught himself how to catch bullets with his bare hands. Killed half of New York, almost all of his personal friends, and was rewarded for it with world peace. Basically, what if Hannibal Lecter had a moral compass and could meddle in both the pommel horse and uneven bars? Excellent. Yes, Fantastic. So, so that's uh, Ozimandias. Number two is Dark Side. He's uh, kind of godlike, like Galactus was. Um, he doesn't eat planets. He conquers them and turns them into giant floating fire pits and enslaves the people on those planets with his laser eyes which shoot omega-beams that track your movements at the speed of a Tron cycle. So uh, you can't just dive out of the way. So they zigzag at you. <laughs>
1: that sort of thing. You know, can I just tell you, at a certain point, by the way, we're listing the, uh, the top five uh, comic book villains who are not the Joker, and at a certain point, superhero powers and abilities start to sound a lot like health supplements that are sold on late night on the Larry King
5: show.
0: <laughs> Oh, I know that yeah. it shoots omega-5 beams, <laughs> and <laughs> this, <laughs> will, <laughs> this will aid in liver function and vitality. We're going to be back after this on a mutual network. <laughs> all right. Um, his goal is to eliminate
6: all free will from the universe and uh, trying to figure out the anti-life equation, which will allow him to control the thoughts of every creature in the universe. He's made out of rock, uh, is based on Jack Palance... And uh, can beat the crap out of Superman. Excellent. So there you go. A lot of people are uh, clamoring for him to be in the new Superman movie when they finally reboot. Like, they want it to go jo- just completely all the way out there. Like, he flies into outer space, lands on this fire planet, and punches up Rock Jack Palance with right. Omega Beams. A Rock Jack Palance with Omega Beams. Yes. And that's what they want for the... And they want it directed by Michael Bay.
1: Wait, this is real quick before we do number one. This isn't that god. This isn't that creature, that thing that killed Superman in that no, comic Doomsday. book where they killed him all. No, off.
6: that's Doomsday. And that comic book story is awful, and people need yeah. to stop asking for it to be made into a movie. Oh. It was boring crap. All right, Horrible. The number one uh, comic book villain who is not the Joker. Number one is Lex Luthor. Which,
5: oh, well, okay. That yeah. seems
6: sort of obvious. The greatest criminal mind of our time has two goals. Kill Superman. Conquer the universe. Uh, created Bizarro, which is... a. Uh, Z- zombie retard Superman uh, created Metallo, who's a, a a metal man. I didn't know he created Bizarro. He created I Bizarro. I thought Bizarro
1: was from Bizarro World.
6: Um, I think Bizarro went off and created Bizarro World. It, it's all convoluted. I know there's a, a floating planet that's based like a cube and everything is backwards on it, but um, in some instances, you like he created Bizarro. I
1: on the, like on the TV, like in the cartoons, Bizarro talked just like Grimlock from the Transformers. Exactly. Be very unhappy. <laughs> Me bad merchandising
6: cash in for gullible children. Um, he's a he's a, uh, a formidable villain because he actually got himself elected president. None of these other villains that So he effectively ran the world at least once or twice. Um, has been played by Kevin Spacey, Michael Rosenbaum, Clancy Brown, and Gene Hackman. Looks good in a wig. Um, has been known to assimilate with Brainiac to form Lexiac, the smartest thing that ever lived. <laughs> Has beat up Batman as Lexiac, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, basically a homicidal super genius Donald Trump with five times the ego and robot friends. Fantastic. Ladies, there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, the top five comic book villains who are not the Joker. Uh, Fat Boy from Court and Fat Boy, Rock
1: 101, KUFO, 7 to midnight tonight and every weeknight uh, and live at Rockfest mm-hmm. tomorrow, uh, for which tickets are still available. Yes. yes. And if yeah. you
6: want to listen uh, in a more talk show style as you are accustomed to uh, your lord and savior Rick Emerson and Tim Riley and Sarah Dillon, go to CourtandFatBoy.com. You can get us concentrated there. There you go. All right, all right. Thank you, my friend.
1: Thank you. Back after this. Tim Riley, like at three. Michael Merritt, seven. Stay there. Mezithra cheese is, is especially good. It's like, um, it's kind of like a really, really flavorful Parmesan. And, they, and then, they, then they tell you this whole thing when you order it. Now, see, now I'm going to make myself, after my discussion about not wanting food, now I'm going to want a pasta with mazifra cheese. Never mind. But they tell you that when you, when you look on the menu, there's this whole thing about, you know, this is all this is the only thing that Homer ate while he was writing the Iliad, which makes you feel like sophisticated about it as you're sitting there going like, I'm Rick Emerson, eater of cheese. Uh, all right, it is high-concept Thursday. We'll do that here in uh, just a few. Don't forget, kids, uh, tickets uh, still on sale for Rockfest. You can go to KUFO.com uh, right now. Uh, uh, gates open at 2 tomorrow. Uh, the uh, music begins at 3, uh, featuring Aural Royal Bliss, My New Vice, uh, who we are big fans of.
5: Yes, indeed. Uh,
1: Floater Rehab, Five Finger Death Punch, Atreyu, and, of course, uh, headliner Kid Rock. Uh, tomorrow. So that is uh, tomorrow. Tickets on uh, sale now. Go to KUFO.com for details. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley.
0: And now, now. So, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley.
2: It seems the new kids on the block are tough enough to hang with young Jeezy. I have no idea. According to <laughs> Billboard.com, the recently reunited Boy Band's new album debuted at number two on the Billboard 200 album chart this week. Fans purchased 95,000 copies of The Block. That put the feed Be- well behind runner Young Jeezy. Okay. They rap- young Jeezy apparently is a rapper. His CD, called The Recession, moved 260,000 units its first week out. Is Young Jeezy the guy with the
1: snowman logo?
2: I'm not I don't, a don't fan. even know who I've, it is.
1: He has like a line of clothing and it's like it's just a snowman, which I believe is slang for some sort of narcotic. Uh,
2: Maybe we should ask down the hall at uh, 107.5. You
1: know what I would uh, be curious to know, actually, speaking of the new kids on the block, I would be So it sold 95,000 copies? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's sort of well-traveled territory in the show is our discussion about how even the biggest selling records now sell a fraction of what they used yeah. to. Uh, you know, 95,000 is nothing. nothing. I mean, that's a drop in the bucket, and that's good enough for a number two. I would be uh, I'd be curious to know, though. So this 95,000 copies of their new CD, I would be curious to know how that stacks up against that Whatever, that Dirty Dog record they put out, like in the 90s that was the big disaster when the new kids started getting all street. Was that the name of that record? Was it No More Games? What was the Dirty Dog record they put out?
3: I think it was No More Games. That's when they stopped being New Kids and started being NKOTV. And they
1: were trying to be all street. Yeah. Uh, I'd be curious to know if that record actually st- old, uh, outsold this new one. That would just be sad.
3: I, don't know. I Paddock gave me a copy of The Block. Uh-huh. Is it good? And I put. <laughs> No. I played it at a barbecue, <laughs> and everyone was making fun of me. I'm like, hey, I didn't pay for it. I'm, aren't you kind of curious to see it? it? And I'm like,
1: have to have you got the hookup. Mm-hmm. There's Tim Riley.
2: So uh, how's this for a twist? Of all the number one songs in the 50 years of the Billboard Hot 100 chart, Chubby Checkers' The Twist ranks as the most popular single. Not that we should care. Uh, so uh, The Billboard Hot 100 measures airplay and sales information, and more recently, digital downloads, to determine the nation's most popular songs.
1: So they're saying... Wait, I don't understand. Wait, by what criteria are they saying that The Twist is the most successful song ever?
2: Uh, let's see here. Apparently, uh, the ranking comes as a surprise to someone, but not the classic rocker. Apparently, sales, which is strange. I don't know a- Somebody pay them off. <laughs> That's
1: Tim Riley saying
2: that. I agree.
1: CBS I mean, Radio News is... Really don't offer. We're saying the <laughs> fix is in, ladies and gentlemen. Uh... Because that just doesn't make any sense because, first of all, haven't we always heard that either White Christmas or, uh, no, what is that, that horrible, uh, the Goodbye England's Rose, that horrible Candle in the Wind remake, that beat out White Christmas for the biggest selling single ever because it had been White Christmas. Mm -hmm. So it's not in sales, and it's not the longest time at number one because I think the longest spot at number one is like, um, the longest spot at number one is like Hey Jude or something. Mm
2: -hmm. That's right, though. And it's
1: not the most singles at number one because that's, I think, either the Beatles or Elvis,
2: Maybe he's dying and they're trying to make him feel better.
1: (laughs) He's he's now painfully emaciated, Checker. Mm -hmm. All right. You know where Chubby Checker got his name?
2: No, I I never
1: thought about it. Chubby Checker's name was suggested by Dick Clark's wife, I believe. And Chubby Checker is, of course, a bad knockoff of Fat Domino.
3: Oh, I didn't even think about that. Fat
1: Domino, Chubby Checker. It's a stupid name. Uh, the uh, but you know what? Yeah, whatever. You, you gotta milk that single for all it's worth, I suppose. Maybe is this because Tim he re-released that song like every eighteen months?
2: Probably. Because you
1: know he put the twist out. I mean, the twist I think does have some sort of record for re-entering the charts the most number of times.
2: Yeah, I'm tired of him.
1: Yeah, but, and then there was Peppermint Twist. Was that also him?
2: Yeah, no, no, that was somebody else. Was there
1: Let's Twist Again? Oh, maybe Yeah. He had Let's Twist Again. He had the Twist with the Fat Boys. So maybe that's what it's about, because I do believe that there is some record held by him for re-releasing exactly the same song, and then it kept going to the to, to number, and he didn't even write it. I think Hank Ballard's the guy who wrote that. So Hank Ballard's got to be happy about that.
2: No, he's got to be stopped.
1: All right. Do we have a top five? Uh, we actually did the top five. I think you were sitting right there. Where was I? You were right there.
5: <laughs> I was? When there was a guy I in here, here, fat
1: boy, guy with a hat.
2: Oh, I was in here all the time. Oh, is that what was going on? Yes. Oh, Okay.
1: I know your resources were busy uh, gathering news elsewhere, which is why you were not fully cognizant of your surroundings at that point. Correct. All right. Uh, No, we don't have a top five. We've done it.
2: Well, the modern-day chubby checker Kanye West has been uh, arrested at LAX during a skirmish.
1: Are you calling him the new chubby checker? Uh, Yes, I am. You're attempting to inject this into the cultural lexicon. Yes. All right.
2: An airport spokesman said police also arrested uh, his bodyguard shortly before 8 a.m. Airport spokespeople say early reports are that West got into an altercation with a commercial photographer at a camera value that more than $10,000 is broken. How can a camera be worth $10,000 they are throwaway items? Making that up. Uh, the incident happened before West and his bodyguard, who was not identified, went into a security checkpoint at the airport. Police are continuing to interview witnesses, and he may be booked. As a matter of fact, he was booked, and now he's out of jail.
1: Oh, so maybe this is like a video camera, you know, a film camera. Or else, like, you those paparazzi
3: I mean. dudes, you know, have those super long, you know, like, lens? lenses. Those lenses are
2: really expensive. I
1: could see that. If it was, like, some full-on National Enquirer type of camera, that would make sense.
2: Well, I right. I've never been to a paparazzi store, so I couldn't tell you what no, I can. no. There has been an explosion and a fire in the channel, under the English Channel. Uh, a truck on a freight train exploded and burned right in the middle of the afternoon. This is in the tunnel between England and France. That whole thing
1: freaks me out.
2: Yeah, I never go... I'd...
3: It's freaky. I've been in it going underneath oh, no. the water. No. no.
2: Oh. It's not going to happen to me, no, no. I'll continue to take those hovercraft things. Uh, You've taken a hovercraft? Yeah,
1: I'm so jealous. Where did you tip from? Hovercraft where to where? English Channel. Really?
2: From uh, Dover to Calais.
1: See, and I never went across the English Channel.
2: You got to do that. Next I just time. went. I, went and under
1: I, it. I just went and took got my picture taken, making the V symbol in front of the Old Bailey. That's all I did.
2: Oh, very. Uh, good.
1: That's all I cared about. Uh, the uh, so a hovercraft. So that's the thing where it's like the floats on the cushion of air or whatever. Is it a really smooth ride? That sounds like a dumb question, but
2: yeah, fairly smooth.
1: Interesting. Mm-hmm. It seems, doesn't, here's a weird thing. You know, hovercraft have been around for like 60 years. Mm-hmm. A little strange, though, doesn't it still sound like a futuristic world of tomorrow thing? Mm-hmm. I'll be riding via hovercraft. It still sounds like some sort of, uh, uh, you know, I'll be flying in my electric magic car or whatever.
2: Yeah, the the boat itself is nothing fancy. It's like that boat that takes you from uh, San Francisco to Sausalito. Yeah. It's like it's been around too many years.
1: Boy, you want to talk about a, a boat that felt like it had been around too many years, that boat that takes you to Alcatraz. Eh, you just, Probably you, the same thing. You just, you just hear the, the rending of metal and the breaking of planks. You, know, you can't figure out where the sound is coming from. So, all right.
2: Uh, so, that's that. Apparently, uh, six people got hurt. They were treated for inhalation of smoke and flames. How could that be avoidable, really? I
1: don't know, man. And I mean, here's a question about the channel. Uh it's
2: 24 miles long.
1: It's 24 miles long. How far below the water is it? Do you know?
2: We talked about this before.
1: We did, but I can't remember. I guess because my question
2: is, it's way below. It wasn't built above like we originally thought.
1: Uh, when you're when you're below, is there some sort of an issue where, like, lack of, uh, what do you call it? Like, you know, it's like a like an air pressure thing or something, like the bends or some crap.
2: can't oh, get know. the bends
1: if you go down underneath the water.
2: I've never ridden in it.
1: You know, don't email about it. I know this is a science question. I'm mangling, and everybody is now thinking that I'm a retard. So let's just skip no, right I to think, the end of the I page. It is an honest question. It is an honest question, but this is going to be like. Let's just go to the bottom of the page where I admit that I'm retarded, and let's just spare me the uh, Rick. Let me decide. Well, a
2: black hole to you. I don't think you're retarded. I don't know either, and I'm not a retard. No.
1: <laughs> you know, here's the thing about when you say stuff like that, which sort of sounds like a compliment, but it leaves it was, a.
2: It was meant to be a compliment. It
1: leaves a bruise. It does. You are like, uh, and I have to see her again today before I go to the dentist. So I'm going to my. I'm going to the dentist today. Uh, but you know what I have to do before that? I have to go pick up my laundry, uh, which means that the Asian woman will get to make some other thing that sounds like a compliment, but really, like when she goes, oh, you look better. You're not so fat. Then I just say, like, well, thanks. Like, what? Okay. You know, uh, so. miserably
3: you know. abusive in the most loving way. And Tim
1: only hits me because he loves me.
3: All right, so I guess it goes as deep as, um, it converts to about 500 feet.
1: So, but is there a weird issue there where you, the air pressure is uh, such that it screws with your body?
5: I
2: would imagine if you hopped off.
1: Maybe they. I, know, I, just, I
3: remember I was just full of fear, knowing that I was just underneath a big body of water. Oh, maybe you've gone underneath? That's what I was telling you, yeah. Oh, I thought you said to... you'd never do that. No, no, I did. No, I went between London and Paris, and I did it on the way back.
1: How yeah. long does it take to get from one end of the tunnel to the other?
3: It was a really fast train ride. I don't know, it was only like an hour, like an hour, an hour and a half. So
1: you don't drive, it is a train? Yeah, it's a train. Okay, because I was going to say, you let people drive, and that's just an invitation. Maybe
2: the ground, it has like giant gills like a fish that well, suck air in.
1: Or maybe they pump, yeah, maybe they pump air into it I or something. I
3: because I remember just going into, it's like you're going into a regular tunnel on the side of like a wall, and then you just and and gradually on, go on, down and, on, and then go back up.
1: There's just no way. I
2: mean, it, it must be, monotonous unless there are billboards along the way. Isn't doesn't, it dark? Th- yeah, is it dark?
3: Yeah it, was, yeah, it was just dark.
2: Oh, no. Was know, it they, terrifying?
3: I'm not do that. It, it's one of those things you just try not to think about. It, doesn't it, it seem... wasn't that long. I remember it was only like, was only like 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, doesn't, it's not that
1: long. Doesn't the tunnel seem like one of those things that is destined to collapse someday? Yes. I mean, it just seems... That's
3: what you think, too, with all, like, knowing that it's surrounded by water.
1: Like, one cannot hold back Mother Earth forever. Like, eventually things fall down. So, and, like you know... Like, it's sucked into that cyclotron. And my question... You'd be spaghettified. Mm-hmm. My question is, how would they even know that it was about to collapse? Like, how do they measure that?
2: There'd be no advance warning. No, there wouldn't. I mean, there could be an alarm, but what can you do? You're trapped in me.
1: Yeah, as Mr. Miyagi Are would there's say. some like escape a, pods? You, <laughs> well,
2: where would... How would that even work? Where would you even escape to? Like, a breakdown lane on the side? But I mean, I wonder, it
3: is, is it buried? Is is it in the water and poking up, or is it?
2: No,
1: it's in, underneath the floor. It's underneath the
3: it's underneath floor, the floor, of,
2: the floor of the water.
1: Yeah, there's nowhere to run to. No, I mean you, you, yeah, no, that's that's like being. That's what if you're like in a. Good
2: shape? Is there a bike lane? No.
1: That's like being in. I mean, that's like uh, you know just uh, whatever. That's like Ooh, being in a thing. I don't
2: think about this too much.
1: That's like being in. That's like being in a drinking straw when somebody flattens it. There's no getting out of that. So, all right.
2: Well, if there was, like, a sucking device at the other end that pulled you through. I think you know, the emergency. show...
1: I think, I think for many people, the show is the sucking device that pulls them through.
2: Well, I like it, too.
1: This just sort of frittered to an end, didn't it? All right. Uh,
2: Tim, I can't think of any more to add, really.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Uh, back at four, five, six, 6, and 7. Top of the hour, all the way through. Like us, like us, like us. Uh, we got calls. We should break, though, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, if you're on hold... I see you there. Please uh, hang on. We will get to your calls immediately when we return. Uh, We will dedicate the entire final segment here to your phone calls. It's 503-733-2970. Back right after this with your calls. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Why, hello. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Uh, Join us tomorrow when our guest will include, we have now confirmed this, I guess she was on a plane, Uh, We will talk to uh, National Enquirer correspondent Dorothy Carceseri tomorrow uh, about... Wait for it. Sarah Palin's oldest son, Track, was addicted to OxyContin for the past two years. Snorting it, eating it, smoking it, and injecting it. Talk about that tomorrow. That's a special breed of dumb, is injecting yourself with things like that. I mean, do drugs, don't do drugs. The injecting, uh, that seems like, you know what you said about Richie wearing Crocs? Uh-huh. You said, Richie, Crocs mean you've given up. Injecting, look, I don't, the drugs ought to be legal. It, all drugs, take them, don't take them. That's between you and whoever. But it seems like when you start, when you just finally start injecting the drugs, that's when you've just given up. That's when you admit, you know what my goal is? My goal is to be a lice-ridden junkie. All right, uh, we'll talk to him. Um, Dorothy Carcassari tomorrow, and uh, Scott Daly will be here with a review of new Cohen Brothers film, uh, The Brad Pitt Vehicle Burn After Reading. All right, it's 503 733 2970. Let us now do uh, random calls till the end of today's program. It's 503 733 2970. We will do uh, random calls till the end of today's show. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Begin!
10: I shall. Question. In the shuttle, during this little fire, how long did it take to the EMT guys or fire guys or ambulance or whatever to get there?
1: Well, that's a good question. I mean, so that's what? How long is it, sir? It's miles long?
10: It's what, like 20, 24 miles, I think you said.
1: You know, is it a coincidence that's almost the same uh, length as the super collider, sir? I think not.
13: Oh, my God.
1: Well, that's a good question. So I wonder, well, they must have... In other words, it's not just like a big hose with an opening at each end. They must have stops along the way, you know. Right. I yeah,
4: she's been in
5: it.
1: Yeah, even though
3: there weren't any stops, no.
1: But I mean, not stops, but I mean, I guess you wouldn't stop in the sense that you would, you're for like you as a passenger wouldn't stop. But they must have stations along the way for these sorts of things.
3: I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. You're just going really fast, and it's dark, and you're just like, let's get the hell out of here as quick as we can, because it just, it's out of nowhere too. Because you're like going through a pretty pretty English countryside, all of a sudden, (laughs) yep, and
1: don't give any warning.
3: Yep, and for like 25 minutes, you're in complete darkness, you know, except for the you know the flickering lights in the
1: in the train. None of it seem inevitable that they're going to make some horror film and they're going to set. In the channel.
3: Oh yeah, because channel is just such a good word too.
1: And it's just, I, mean, it would,
3: I could just see that on a movie. And
1: it's a 24 mile long stretch of blackness underneath or surrounded by the water or something from which you cannot escape. There's really no getting around that. That seems like a thing that really ought to be in a horror film. Here's when I say that there's stops along the way. By the way, here's what I was thinking of because if uh, you ever seen that documentary Dark Days, which is the, the, the very it's a fascinating documentary. Dark Days is this documentary about folks who live underground in sort of uncompleted sections of the New York City subway I've system. i
3: watched that. It's like I, I've read the mole people and then I kind of became obsessed with that in some totally. dark
1: days. That's the thing. And so, uh, but the, the, the New York City subway system, they just had all of these sort of just arterials and just sections and these the, the whole long, like, half-mile stretches that they were supposed to complete and they never did. Uh, and so there's the main sections of the subway which are, you know, still work, they're still active or whatever, but then there'd just be these, like, branch-off segments that they never finished. And so the deal is, they, they, and that's where these kind of guys would set up in these whole, like, shantytown communities. If you ever see this documentary, you really need to see it. It's called Dark Days, The Scores by DJ Shadow. Uh, it's a really amazing documentary.
5: Really, really interesting.
1: But, but the really interesting. But the part that they sort of talked about that stay with me forever is they said because they were all these sort of arterial branch-offs that were never completed, they said that the average subway rider never really noticed because they went by so quickly. But when you were riding the New York City subway, which is obviously, you know, underground, That if you were looking out the window at the right time, you would see these tunnels branching off, and you would see these little shantytown communities at the far end, uh, which is a thing that people would say they saw, and then other people thought they were making it up because you would just see it at the blink of your eye. They're like, I saw people living down there, and they'd be like, you shut your mouth, you're crazy. So I thought weird...
3: every time I'm in New York, this holds pastime too. My sister and I are both slightly obsessed with the mole people, and so we will always look because they would just jump off the platform <laughs> and run down, you know, oh. just, like through holes that they had like made or you know that were already there, uh, that parts of incomplete. Subway. All
1: unnerving. All right.
3: I look for the mole people every time, though. You should
1: too. All right. Well, having said that, we're going to take calls. We're now at the end of the program, so uh, my apologies to callers. We did not get you today. No time to be fair. Call us tomorrow, won't you, please? It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Like us next. Uh, like us, 101 at 5. Michael Merrick's show at 7. We will see you tomorrow at 10 for the recap. 11 for the show. Featuring Dorothy Carceseri and Scott Daly from FilmFeverRadio.com. Uh, Don't forget. Uh, Rockfest tickets on sale now, my friends. Go to KUFO.com for more details. We want to thank Cena radio correspondent Steve Kastamab, Lisa Desjardins, and Lisa Desjardins, as well as Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. Now on sabbatical, Rick Emerson Show, produced today and everyday by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for AM 970. The talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley. On the phones, Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Zinn, uh, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, of Engineering, Brian Jones, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Donap with me, Reynolds, as always. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Watch out for snakes. We'll see you all tomorrow. Bye now.
5: And if you see a crack somewhere, take a hawk with you and try to seal that, seal that crack up.